heavy blow to the skull. This is not a test. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the DestroProds.com Movies and Television Podcast. We didn't forget we do this show, I swear. As Wait, always, I'm dead. We're doing it. We're doing it. I, I thought this was games. <laughs> Shit. As always, I'm dead. Join me today, we got Cave. Hi. And, for the first time in a while, Birdie. X gonna give it to you. <laughs> what? Obviously, he's talking about the new name of Twitter. <laughs> God, that's stupid. It's so dumb. So fucking stupid. Oh my god, it's stupid. Why can't that site just die already? It's, it's a virtual town hall. It's got to be here for the discourse. It's Except historic. all that's happening is screaming into the void. I mean, it's historical for Musk. His first his first website was called x.com. He wanted it to be called x.com. Yeah. That's what he wanted to name PayPal, too. Well, mm-hmm. rename PayPal. They kicked him off the board because of it. Yeah. Yet now all he has is sycophants to say, that's a brilliant idea. Fuck, he named his kid X. Gonna give it to you. <sighs> Which is only a brilliant name if he plans to be a rival to Speed Racer. <laughs> uh, God, I'm just imagining now just one of those weird Elon people just changing his last name to Racer and then making a kid naming him Speed and just for, just in the hopes that he and his that he's his kid and fucking uh, Elon's kid will become friends or rivals or some shit. Just live vicariously through his fucking kid. But anyway, enough shitting on Twitter. Let's talk about the entire film industry shitting on the people who make their movies. Yeah, this has been a long time coming. Yeah, so you all probably know this, but in case you don't, uh, the screen, the Writers Guild, the uh, the Screen Actors Guild, and the Stunt Guild, I believe, also, yes, have all gone on strike against the um, the uh, director and producer guild, or fucking whatever. Uh, yeah, the American Movie Producers trade organization i believe is the full name and you'll appreciate this cave um the president of the stunt guild set himself on fire in protest yeah Badass! yeah like actually circle back i saw that on twitter and it was just a bunch of actresses going man how the fuck do we top that you don't <laughs> you just get behind them and say yeah we're one unit Woo! yeah so uh see so yeah, a few Weeks, months ago, uh, the Writers Guild went on strike, uh, just protesting uh, the like streaming services and other people with, uh, which is like trying to get better residuals and they be the ability to make a living wage on their work. They're trying to get fair pay for the work they've done, yeah, be- <laughs> and are going to do, yeah, because <laughs> like so many of these writers have been like posting their residual checks, where it's like, hey, I was one of the head writers on this like multi-million fucking dollar show that like led to thousands of people signing up for this streaming service in the last year I have made cumulatively like five bucks it makes YouTube look like a good platform (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah and so that's been happening and since that happened people were also asking like hey when's the when are like the screen actors gonna go on strike with the president of the guild Fran Drescher going like yeah we don't have any plans right now 
And then like a month later, it's like, hey, we're on strike. Yeah, fuck you guys. Yeah, because again, like actors, especially like the like lower to mid actors, they can't earn a living on their fucking projects because again, like with streaming and the way streaming works, there isn't a model there to give them like like reliable residuals off the stuff they work on. And yeah, and this this basically happens every time the film industry adds a new technology. This happened when TV became a thing. This happened when uh, home video became a thing. So the fact that it had happened became a thing. Yeah. So the fact that it hadn't happened with streaming yet was just like it was a matter of time. Yeah. Yeah. And another thing that they're protesting, and everyone needs to be aware of this. Yes. They're protesting. AI generated everything. Yeah, not just AI generated. AI copied everything because the like, because like the uh, the one of the things like the uh, the Screen Actors Guild is striking against is production companies copying their likeness and like voice and, and stuff, and then using that as a digital like copy of them in perpetuity. You know. And- Anyone like, who thinks, oh, that's fine, that's okay. No. <laughs> no. That's a genuine as a nightmare. Writer, as a writer, I have looked at AI-generated content for writing. It is such garbage. Yeah, because it's not... Like, the only way they can make it of quality is by hiring a writer to go and edit the AI's work. But you know what will be credited? The AI. The writer will not get any credit. Yeah. The uh, writer will not get paid a fair wage for basically writing an entire story. Yeah. In the, in the midst AI of... is a brilliant, amazing thing that people are jumping on way too fast. It's yeah, going to disrupt the, the industry. A, yeah. In the midst of a uh, strike for not properly paying writers, uh, Netflix is trying to hire a AI manager for $900,000 a month, a year. (laughs) Oh, Christ. And especially since right now, all AI does is steal from us. Yeah. It just takes AI is not creating anything original because it AI AI is looking at something that's already been posted and copy and pasting things. Like whenever you go to one of those chat bots, it's not actually responding to you. It is generating a conversation based off of all the other conversations it's ever had. Yep. And access to those conversations are legally speaking, not theirs. It's just taking other people's work and just fucking copy pasting it. Sometimes not even, sometimes not even like trying to like cut it up and make it look different. Like the amount of like AI generated shit you see that actually has like people's signatures on it. Because they just copied their artwork completely, including the artist's signature. The number of hands in various AI-generated artwork. I When AI artwork, because we're getting off topic, but we'll get back to it soon. When AI artwork first started like really popping off, I saw some dude, again on Twitter, post, It's over for you, ladies. AI can generate realistic-looking the same blonde lady over and over again. As long Someone as you don't posted- like hand jobs... Someone posted about how they generated their, like, they were tired of trying to find an artist, so they just used AI art to generate their entire comic book. Yeah, that's fucking awful. It's also very, very dumb. Yeah, but anyway, back on the, like, actual thing that matter. 
Uh, like, so like on top, like so it's the AI thing for writing, and then the AI thing for the actors because, like, the idea of taking an actor, digitizing their likeness and voice, and then setting it up as a robot to use forever has been like the. It's been the uh, like what is it a concept for two different dystopian stories. Uh, yeah. It's been the concept for several different dystopian. Yeah, but stories. but the ones that pe- the ones that like people keep coming back to are well the, the one Congress. that pe- the one that people keep coming back to is the Black Mirror episode. Yep, and then the one that I keep coming back to is like I think it's called Simone or that like, might not be Simone. It's the one with like Robin Wright where she like sells her likeness. It's called the Congress. The Congress it's called it. Okay, I'm, yeah, I might be I might be conflating like I might be conflating it with a different AI story. Possible. There's plenty of them. But no, it's it's fucking so dumb. And the and like the producers guild, they are cartoonishly evil about this. Like the like it's so many people. Like uh, it was like Bob Iger, David Zaslav, uh, some other people. All like a billionaires retreat. Yeah, just and like, they just were like, like oh. They'll starve before we will. They'll get back to work. Yeah, just just let something start that people will lose their houses, and they're like, man, we just don't have the money to pay these people. There's there's demands are too ridiculous. He says is being fed canapes by like some I don't know slave boy or whatever the fuck that happens at a billionaire retreat. Yeah, Zaslav in particular has no right to say this since he gets paid two hundred million a year more than any other uh, executive producer in Hollywood. Yeah, it's gotten to the Why point. Why do we need executive producers again? What Don't do worry doing? about it. Money. What do they do? Uh, they, they, do they make themselves money. Yeah. No. Well, no, some do, uh, but not at the not at the boardroom level. Executive producers that do stuff are showrunners. Like Jeff Klein is an executive producer, but he actually like creates and runs shows. These guys just say stuff like well women don't like shows with stories so we should add more tlc to warner brothers yeah they, they come they come in put down like a couple thousand dollars to go hey i'm in on this and then they just give stupid notes that they don't that don't work because they're idiots but yeah it's gotten so bad that like like actors like not even, not even like, like you know, like the middling actors that are just like on like you know bit parts on TV shows, maybe like once in a movie. Like not even those people. Like fucking Ron Perlman took to TikTok and vaguely threatened to burn down Bob Iger's house. <laughs> Fuck yeah, go Ron Perlman. <laughs> it's. I mean, that's the wrong way to go about it, but it, kudos for the mindset. <laughs> yeah, right sentiment, right sentiment. Uh, maybe something less. Legally threatening, yeah. which is why I preferred, um, of all people, the rocks approach where he just donated, I think, 70 million dollars to SAG-AFTRA's relief fund. Yeah. And fuck, I think, oh, uh, there is one other thing that my wife will flame me alive if I don't mention. They might have fucked themselves via tree law. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so for those of you who don't know. Trees are really important, and there are a lot of laws protecting the trees. Now, in Not order enough. to spite the protesters, the people being protest overpruned all of the trees on the street where they were protesting. Yeah, I believe it was Netflix. And no, it was now, it was uh, NBC. Oh, well, 
<laughs> okay. Multiple, I guess. Now, those trees are city property, which means if you want to trim them, you have to get city permission to do it. They did not. They claimed that it was part of a regular annual effort to keep the trees from, like, blowing over or something during the windy season, which it is not. And every person who looked at them that knew anything about taking care of trees was like, yeah, that's horseshit. <laughs> so, basically, they've been called out in every direction. And if I'm, if I'm, as of, as of what I'm aware, the parties that are actually responsible for the trees are looking into the proper legal no, they, ramifications. They already did cave, but it's it's more just bad optics because the most they can find them for it is $500. That's not true. Depending okay, on how much damage from what I read. Depending on how much damage was done to the trees, they could have to pay to replace the trees of with trees of similar size and age and pay for someone to take care of them, which can be upwards of millions of dollars, depending on the age of the tree. Yeah, now, that's that an extreme happening. case, but they've, like, they've still, like, they've damaged their image and could potentially have to pay a lot of money. Yeah. Well, I mean, they already they did that when they, pulled, when they pulled the let-them-eat-pull approach to, like, we don't care if they starve, so they, okay, they really can't so, make themselves look any worse. So here is what happened with the tree situation. All right. So NBC Universal was the company that did it. Uh, they cut down uh, just like trees along their entire lot just to fucking spite the actors. And they apparently got a $250 fine. Ah, that's a shame. Yeah. Okay. I thought I read that somewhere. Yeah. I uh, went to get the uh, yeah, first article I clicked on. I was behind a paywall. I guess so I they didn't full look kill the trees, so they didn't have to pay to replace them. Yeah. They're like the trees are still there. They still have all the roots and everything. They just got to wait for them to grow back in. But it's still just, like, the most petty shit. Like, yeah, like I remember when, like, the strike first started uh, with the writers. Um, an actor who's, like, had, like, bit parts. Of stuff. I can't remember his fucking name. But he was apparently known for doing this. He would, like, show up at protest sites. Like, either, either like, dressed as... Like, he just showed up to just, like, fuck the protesters. I can't remember the exact situation that happened. But he was just, like, being a massive fucking prick. Just shitting on the fucking writers. Just telling him to get back to work or some shit. Dressed as something. And this is apparently not the first time he'd done it. Like, I can't, I can't remember his fucking name. Or, I think he was, like, I don't know how many of you, I don't know how if either you, like, remember much about How I Met Your Mother. But I think it was the guy that they thought was Moby in that one episode. I have no idea. Yeah, it was a stretch, but I fuck. I don't know, man. I, even if I knew his I name, watch, even if I knew his name, it would mean nothing to you. I don't watch good sitcoms, so <laughs> I don't know what a quality sitcom is, mind you. But I don't watch good sitcoms, so yeah. Uh, so yeah, uh, strike is still ongoing, and like I, I've been like trying to like look up like the ways that online content creators can like show support for uh the strike and it's very confusing and i don't fully understand it uh, if we find any way that we can support them we will yeah as because of right now 
our support is support your guilds. Yeah. Support your unions. The, the, the big one is to donate to the SAG AFTRA relief fund because that's going directly to providing funds for housing, food, and living costs for people who are on strike under these guilds. Yeah, I'll put a link for that in the description. But I did just want to make it clear that we at Destro Prods stand with the guilds. Fuck the producers. Fuck the studios. Pay people what they're fucking worth. Fuck anyone yeah. who's getting paid to sit there and do nothing. Yeah, actually, no. And I want to add one more thing to some shit, just for an argument I've seen a lot from shitheads on the internet. Um, I don't care if you don't like the quality of the content they create. They still put time and effort into making it. They deserve to be paid for that. So yeah. I don't care if you hate oh. what they make. They still worked to make it. These fucking... Fuck off. These fucking AI bro troglodytes... Not fucking able to like grasp the concept of like, like, hey, if you don't like repetitive shit that's the same thing over and over again, then don't do a robot that just repeats shit over and over again. What? No, we can't like, be rational. Like, fuck, man. Like, Jesus Christ, art's iterative, so it's gonna be like, so it's gonna be similar to stuff you've seen before. But guess what? It's not going to be exactly the same as shit you've seen before because. It's a perspective shift. It's a different person making it. AI can't do that because AI doesn't have a perspective. It's just a robot. Like it's asking fucking Siri to write a fucking multi-million dollar fucking franchise. Yeah, it's like that that Batman comic written entirely by AI, which starts with Batman fires his bat-themed rocket launcher at the Joker. The Joker <laughs> deflects it with his comedy-themed silliness. Oh, my lord. I love that. <laughs> that is hilariously awful. I'll see if I can find the link for it. Oh, that sounds wonderful. But, yeah. So, let's get into talking about stuff we've watched. And, as we talked about before the show... These two have essentially the same list of things, so I'll start. Well, my list is contained within Birdie's list. Yeah. Uh, so I guess I'll start with the uh, three movies that I can lump into one conversation. Which is the latter three Mission Impossible movies. Okay, I have seen these. I have not seen, I have not seen them since they came out. I don't keep up with them. Yeah, it like with Dead Reckoning coming out, I wanted to like just kind of refresh myself on the effectively the story part of Mission Impossible because it did technically oh, start. So it only took you five minutes. No, because they're good movies. See, that's that's the thing. I their stories are fine. I just don't care. <laughs> I I personally don't watch the the Tom Cruise Mission Impossible movies for the story. Because they mostly seem like an excuse for actors to do a bunch of cool stunts and banter with each other yeah. for the most part. Yeah. I'm not, so because I'm of not that, I have a hard time caring about the story. Like I I don't know what I don't know why I said the story part and then you all assumed, oh, so you're a fucking lore guy. Cool. Oh no! I was just making a well, joke. I mean, I got like, I don't, that's on. not even a lore guy thing. I just don't care about the plots of these movies either. It's just like it. Like I believe, starting at Mission Impossible three, they began building their 
they began building what would co- what would turn into the Mission Impossible story of like Mission Impossible versus the Syndicate and their offshoots. Kind of, because they keep changing what that is from movie to movie, and it's never consistent. So, well, not, really no, like, like this, well, no, like the Syndicate has always been consistent in what that is, but then they just keep like bringing in new offshoot organizations from within the Syndicate. Yeah, which makes it hard to care. <laughs> I mean, like, so it sounds like it's all one organization and they're just like sending different branches to try and stop the Mission Impossible team. Uh, no, actually, it's one organization that then got stopped. And then from within that organization, a secondary organization popped out. It's a Matryoshka doll of organizations. Yeah. Which is the music because I we think only beat one the of bad the guys. The bad guys are back. Fuck. I'm using reference dead because I think only one of the movies is in Russia. Yeah, only, yeah, only goes protocols, which is the first one I watched. Because, like, I, yeah, I think, yeah, three is kind of when they three is effectively the jumping off point for the story because that's kind of where a lot of the recurring elements kind of started. Yeah, they basically in. wrote out a lot of the stuff that happened in one and two for the most part, and they, started. They've, they've, their they've own been bringing thing. back stuff from one. Two has been completely scrapped from history. For good reason honestly yes, absolutely because, because there are people who say that there are no bad mission impossible movies they are That's wrong just not yeah, true there is <laughs> there is at least one i stopped watching after two because it was so bad yeah it it's so it's so like bizarre to like track the quality of mission impossible because it's been like depending on who you ask a plateau to slight incline between movies but then there's just all of a sudden this one fucking just crater because like Mission Impossible, even if you're like not invested in anything happening in it, they're entertaining at minimum. Yeah, I always call it the the line on a uh, cardiogram because the movies after two are significantly better than one, but two is still a huge drop off even from one. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. It's yeah, ridiculous. I, I didn't. Wait, well, yeah, I didn't go back to three because with. Because, like, 4 is kind of where they, like, really began cementing what Mission Impossible would be for the future. Yeah. Well, also, it's a J.J. Abrams film, so it's probably going to disappoint you if you go back to it at this point. Yeah, maybe. But, yeah, it's... It's been interesting. Seeing, like, the visual of this thing, like, be so much more cemented in, like, what Christopher McQuarrie's doing. Because he he's, he's effectively been the guy. Yeah, basically... Cruz picked his guy for the Mission Impossible movies because let's not be let's let's not beat around the bush. These are Cruz's productions, absolutely. Like they're, they're, no one else would care except Cruz if these movies went away. Yeah, it's it's so weird. He's kind of just doing an Adam Sandler with this of just hey, I'm going to get my friends together, and we're going to go to exotic locales, and I'm going to do cool shit. Yeah, what have, what have I not done yet? Okay, I've free climbed over off the side of a building. I have submersed myself in a tornado. Um, I've flown on the outside of a plane. I did a halo jump. I did a halo jump. Is there anywhere where I haven't sprinted down a main street like a Dalmatian? <laughs> it looks like a Dalmatian, more like a greyhound. It's like, like watching his like running like posture. It is like perfect. <laughs> the man is amazing at sprinting. The man is a machine. A crazy nightmare of a machine, but a machine. 
And I've heard that in the seventh in the seventh movie, um, the two things people like about it are one, um, he has a fight on top of a train, so more classic crazy shit than his usual shit. That sounds like and classic also, Mission Impossible. Yeah, kind of. And also Haley Atwell is in it, so a lot of people had her thumbs up for that. Yeah, it. I like her. I like seeing her in stuff that isn't like made for TV legal dramas. Yeah, I don't know what that's it's weird after Captain America Winter Soldier how few big movies she appeared in. Yeah, it's it's bizarre. It felt like she was kind of like going places. But it might have just been the fact that like Marvel was the biggest thing at the time and now not so much. Yeah. Kind of kind of in a rut. Yeah. But yeah, like I I do really enjoy these movies. Like I get where you two are coming from with it being just this it feels very episodic, but trying to be like epic about it, because like yeah, because, because the, like like with like with this being like a based on TV show, having it be like villain of the week every time, and then as they get like deeper in, they go, oh, it's this like very deeply connected organization, but it's really just we got renewed for a new season, so we got to come up with something new. Yeah, it's very much like the um, Craig Bond movies where they kept trying to pretend. Because I love this from a background perspective. They kept referencing the organization in all of the uh, Craig Bond films, but they couldn't say Spectre until the fourth movie in his series because they didn't legally have the rights to use the word Spectre yet. (laughs) Who's Craig Bond? Daniel Craig, James Bond. Bond Oh, okay. (laughs) It's like, am I missing something? Did I miss something? (laughs) That's what you got. Okay, That's, I get it now. I get it. Now. D- yeah, James Bond's loser brother, Craig Bond. I was like, <laughs> who the fuck is Craig? Yeah, played by Vince Vaughn. Just fucking God. Uh, good to know that Vince Vaughn can just kill the energy in a conversation. <laughs> well, how long has it been since he's been funny? Uh Oh. Ever? <laughs> Like, like here's the thing. Vince Vaughn has been in funny movies. They weren't funny because of Vince Vaughn. I think Dodgeball is funny, not because of Vince Vaughn. He's just kind of there. All the funniest parts of it are not Vince Vaughn. Uh, Like, but I'd rather he be in funny movies because when he tries to be serious, it's even worse. Yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not saying. I'm not saying that to like remove him from funny movies. I'm just saying. I don't think. I don't know if Vince Vaughn has ever himself been funny. <laughs> oh, I feel bad for him. <laughs> like, I can't defend him. <laughs> but I still feel bad. Eh. Someone's got to be the straight man. Like, Poor guy. <laughs> like, he's trying. Well, it's he's funny. Not, he, he he's was not trying like to Adam Sandler. He's trying here. He was trying to be the funny one opposite Owen Wilson in Wedding Crashers, and that didn't work. What? <laughs> <sighs> but yeah, so let's get into. I'll just go like briefly through the Mission Possible. So, watch Ghost Protocol, Rogue Nation, and Fallout. Ghost Protocol was the like effectively tone setter for the rest of the franchise, with it being like a reset from the Mission Possible Three reset. Because Mission Possible Three, it feels different than the others. <laughs> Well, yeah, it feels like an ending because it's the one movie that feels like there's some kind of emotional consequences for Ethan Hunt. Yeah, he has his, he has like the fiance. Uh, he has 
like a really good villain. Yeah, he, a fucking fucking uh yeah, is it uh, like Declan Shaw Hoffman? Yeah, Philip Seymour Hoffman. I'm trying to remember his name. Because he, yeah, he was a really good fucking villain. But yeah, like and like the stakes felt higher because like the movie opens with a woman getting her brain exploded from the inside out. And it's like it's so like understated when it happens. Like there is like this big yeah. like it's just like it literally just sounds like a and then just her eye goes sideways. Yeah. Character name is Owen Davian. Owen Davian, that's a fuck. I knew it was Owen that's, something. That sounds awful. I love it. It is fantastic, dude. I, no, okay, I, so I have to say this one thing because uh, a, a lot of people misunderstand me when I'm like, "Oh yeah, I love horror movies," and "Yeah, I love I love it when a head explodes." I am not a gore hound. I actually hate gore. Like, if you're gonna horrifically injure someone, I don't need to see that. Yeah, <laughs> but Im- implied a, a good vi- head explosion is always good. Yeah, implied violence is always better than like shown violence unless you're doing like some kind of like weird like Evil Dead Splatterfest. Yeah, it's like I'm saying, unless you're Sam Raimi. <laughs> yeah, Sam Raimi, he just has a fucking just like he has like the fucking like beer truck that uh that Steve Austin drove into the fucking arena one night, just full of fake blood. <laughs> but no, like like three was just three just felt like so fucking sweaty and gross, and that was largely due to like the color correction on it. Like it felt green and like dirtier. Well, yeah, because we went from the, the previous film by John Woo, which was basically a cartoon. What's funny is that the stunts were less insane than in the subsequent movies, but it's so over the top that they don't feel as insane. Yeah, it's yeah, like the movie starts out with like Tom Cruise is like freehand climbing the side of a cliff, which is something people, normal people do. Yeah, yeah. but then he, but then Chuck, like um. But like it's him, it's like having an example of how normal it is. Um, William Shatner did it in Star Trek Four. Yeah, and then, but then, like, he, like uh, he like fucking flips up to the top, gets like a pair of sunglasses with his mission in it, and then throws them away as they explode into the credits. And that just feels so much more ridiculous than him free climbing the side of the Burj Khalifa. Even though the Burj Khalifa one is, I feel like objectively more ridiculous. Yeah. Although, one thing I do miss from the John Woo era, um, motorcycle kung fu fights. <laughs> yeah, that did happen. Huh. I usually get it now from Torque rather than watching that movie. Because that have, more. I need to watch Torque. It is not a good movie. I didn't think it would be. <laughs> it is not a good film, but it is but, a film. <laughs> But it is, it is it's it's a movie that basically called out Fast and Furious and said, "No, we're going to be dumber than you." They saw Too Fast, Too Furious, and we're like, "Hey, we can be better." Oh God, I feel like there was talk about like me, Cave, and James, like my James, watching the Fast and Furious movies. There was. There, that still might happen, depending on schedules. Yeah, because I, I want to do that. I want to go back and like revisit them, because I have, I have always been a defender of Fast and Furious while knowing fully what it is. I watched up through seven. So I, I watched up watched, through Tokyo Drift. <laughs> I have not watched eight, nine, or ten. Same. I actually. watched up through a name that sounds like a venereal disease. That was the last one I watched, and I watched. I I, I actually. That's the, the one with I the original, southern guy, isn't it? Yeah, I don't remember. That's the one with the southern thirty-five-year-old playing a seventeen-year-old. 
Like I, my brother loved those films, so that's why I watched them. <laughs> like because of my baby brother. Yeah. Like I watched them because of my baby brother, and I actually enjoyed them. I'm not gonna lie about that. Like I enjoyed what I watched of the Fast and the Furious. Yeah, they, but <laughs> they are. It's it's a bizarre trajectory for a film franchise in terms of like tone and what it, what like where the plot goes. Like it feels like where every other. Uh, it feels like every other movie they're jumping sharks. Like between yeah, skyscrapers. I mean, what's funny is like nine. They they pulled the we went into space thing, and they yeah, still they had went to into figure space. Out, the they fuck? still figured out. They still had to figure out some way to try to jump that. Yeah. With maybe a bigger, more cartoonish back engine. I don't know. I don't know, dude. It, I think I think they like drove down the side of a dam as it was being like exploded. It was like Dom and his kid in the in like a souped up muscle car driving down the side of a dam while a fireball chases him. And it all looked awful because I've seen clips of it. <laughs> but Jason Momoa seems fun. Yeah, I mean, when he, Jason Momoa is basically just being Jason Momoa, he can be fun. It's just weird when they apply that to anything. Like, I I kind of hope the recasting rumors for him in the DC Universe are true, because the character they're recasting him as makes so much more sense for him, because he can basically just be Jason Momoa. What's the rumor say? Lobo. Oh, oh, that would be awesome. That'd be so good, Jason dude. Jason Momoa would be great as the main man. That is fucking... That son of a bastille should fucking kill it. <laughs> Which tells us that it's not going to happen because they can't cast someone competently in the DCU. I'm sorry. Well, is, his te- well, is he technically the new DCU? They can't cast someone competently in the DCU. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. We haven't seen, like, literally we have not seen a single thing from the uh, James Gunn, Peter Safran DCU. So we'll see going yeah, forward. The earliest is technically Blue Beetle, which uh, I'm going to call you out on something, Cave. You laughed at a joke in a DC trailer. Oh, no, I'm fucking hyped for those. Same, actually. Like, Blue, Blue Beetle looks fun. Yeah, I am for fucking people, hyped He laughed for at that. the line where um, George <laughs> Lopez said, Batman's a fascist. <laughs> <laughs> Batman is a fascist. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> I like Batman. I, I get it. Like, I was literally sitting at the other end of the row from Cave, and I still heard him laugh at that. Because <laughs> it was funny, man. Uh, but, yeah, I, it sucks they don't have, like, it sucks it seems like they don't have Brenda and Paco in there, but, like, they got enough of what makes Blue Beetle, like, Jaime Reyes, Blue Beetle, Blue Beetle. Mm-hmm. While still maintaining the legacy, because we can see Ted Cord and uh, Dan Garrett's suits in there. Yep. And we got like the bug ship too. They're uh-huh. doing they're doing enough of what makes him Blue Beetle that I feel like it's yeah. going to be pretty good. And what's going to make me sad is that when that movie comes out and the Beetle copter comes out, people are going to claim they're ripping off the Snyderverse Watchmen. <laughs> yes. Yeah, uh, why fu- you got to make me sad, Birdie? Some chode's <laughs> going to do that. Yeah. Why you got to make me sad, Birdie? Oh, he's right. Birdie is absolutely right. So we're just going to be we're going to be upfront and tell you guys right now. Other way around. Yeah. Other way around. Yeah, Night Owl and his ship Archie were inspired by Ted Cord and his bug ship. Because, for those who don't know, Watchmen was originally going to be a bunch of, like, uh, Fawcett characters. Oh, no, Charles, Charleston characters. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, like uh, Rorschach was supposed to be the question. Um, Ca- Doctor Manhattan was supposed to be Captain Adam, and I can never remember Ozymandias and and uh, Silk Spectre. I can never remember who they were supposed to be. I think Silk Spectre was no, no. Who were they supposed to be? It was two characters I've never heard of before. Which is why I should know. But I think Ozymandias was like I don't know, not Johnny Thunder. That's the no. That's the genie guy. Yeah. But anyway, back to Mission Impossible. No, no, no. We got to go back and figure this out. I'm joking. I am joking. Yeah. So Ghost Protocol. It's fine. It's it's like a fun spy thriller with a very forgettable villain, and a very over the top but still incredibly low stakes. It feels like uh, threat. Because the threat is just nuclear war. Oh, that old thing. Yeah, like like it's about a dude who like breaks into the Kremlin, steals the launch, co- steals like the uh, like the nuke launch codes, and then launches a nuke at America in hopes of starting a war. I cannot remember his name. I cannot remember his affiliation. I cannot remember anything about why he's actually doing this. Again. I just, I, yeah, I just remember the movie was fun. Yeah, I remember. The, I think the villain in five and going into six was better than four. Absolutely, but not, but not much better because the only villain I remember post Dustin Hoffman, uh, sorry, spoiler, Cave, um, is Henry Cavill. Yeah, I think, like, I like the villain in five, but I feel like he works better as. Like, I feel like if they had given him more room to grow, he could have worked because they 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 were setting him up as like the anti Ethan Hunt. Yeah, because let, let's get in, let's get into Rogue Nation because with five, like sorry, four ends with with Ethan getting a new mission, uh, which is to fight an organization called the Syndicate, which then moves into five where they are the main bad guy. The uh, yeah the leader of the Syndicate, uh, fucking. Goes to show I cannot remember his name. But yeah, he starts yeah. out he starts out the movie pretty strong, where he where he like effectively takes over the like mission voice guy. And yeah, because like the movie starts with a with a Ethan kind of like going to a record store in order to get his next mission. And goes in, like puts the record down, and then begins playing his thing. And as it's kind of going through, it just then hits a moment where it turns and and it just says it says we are the syndicate ethan you're and just like gasses him and like kills the people kills the woman like working there as the uh like handler i guess yeah okay solomon lane and that was also that, was, that 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 this is okay five is rogue nation correct yeah. okay yeah, so I was remembering. So yeah, the I, the actor's name I actually remember more than the villain's name because the villain's name is something uh, unlike Owen Davian, which at least sounds like a villain name. The villain is just called Lane Solomon Lane, which is probably, still kind of a lame villain name. Like Solomon but, Lane as a full thing, I think works as a villain name. Lane doesn't. Yeah, you got to have Solomon in there. The Solomon gives the gravitas. Yeah. Well, yeah, also yeah. it gives your hero something to yell. Lane. Yeah. Like actually works as a scream it to the heavens kind of thing. Yeah. The other funny thing about five is 
there was apparently a brief time when, and apparently it's funny, this has happened twice to the poor guy. Jeremy Renner was set up to replace Tom Cruise as the head of of the uh, Mission Impossible movies. But then Tom Cruise is like, no, I could keep doing this. (laughs) But in fairness, they did keep Jeremy Renner around. Yeah. And this is after they tried to set Jeremy Renner up as the the successor to the Bourne franchise. Before that, also... Right, that did happen. Shriveled and died. That did happen. <laughs> I'm one of the few people I think who actually saw the Jeremy River Bourne film. Wait, they're still making Bourne films? No, that's my okay. point. Yeah, they they, uh, they made I, I they made like, one that was Jeremy Renner, and then we're like, this isn't working. Go bring back bring back bad damn it, fuck. And that also didn't work. So they had it's there's been no mention of another Bourne film since that one, which was now seven years ago, something like that. Yeah, like Rogue Nation was fun. Like, like Rogue Nation is kind of where they began, like really cementing the story, because it's got the Syndicate, which is set up as literally the evil IMF. It's literally just an organization made up of like special ops and like spy organization members who have been, um, like disavowed by their countries and have been presumed dead. Like, like Syndicate just like faked their debts, gathered them up, and then created a separate uh, organization to just like go out and do IMF shit, but to kill people and change the world to the way they see fit. Yeah, establish a new world order. Yeah, which again... A new world order. Which again, as the concept for a like really cheesy TV show, works fucking amazingly. And then for the, And then for the movies... It works for what they are doing, but in like the in like a more real sense, it's kind of dumb. But like it, Mission Impossible walks this really fine line between like their very cheesy, dumb origins and trying to be like blockbuster, like mainstream, serious movies. Yeah, and it's also it, this is this is probably going to get me in trouble with some assholes on the internet, but it's kind of weird how these are the most sexless spy movies. Absolutely. Like, despite the fact that there are these movies are full of beautiful people, particularly beautiful women, some of my favorite women in Hollywood have been in these movies. There never feels like there's any sex appeal to any of these movies. Yeah, no. Like, even even in this one, like Rebecca Ferguson is there, and there's like this whole bit where she's like big dress, like exposed leg, just fucking looking hot as hell, and there's nothing. Yeah, or I mean, you don't have protocol. my attention. What the hell is wrong? No, you have my attention, or, but not I mean, because you're hot. <laughs> But I mean, like, I mean, Ghost Protocol is the one where I most think of it because you have Paula Patton. Right, yeah. In that movie, beating the shit out of a hot blonde assassin, and I'm still like, ugh. Yeah, fuck, there's a point where she's like literally stripping down to brawn panties in a car. And I'm just like, yeah, I mean, it's happening. <laughs> See, that actually might be the point. Like, I, hear me out before, like, hear me out before it's like, shut up, caveman. They aren't viewing it as sexy. Yeah. Like, none of the characters in the scenes are like, yeah, this is hot. They're like, I'm working. I agree with you. So what if the point is, like, yeah, we're kind of dressing down the sexiness? Maybe, but they're still doing all of the stylish spy shit despite that. So it's weird that they're having these incredibly sexy people do all of the stylish spy shit but not have any of it be sexy. 
it's it's like missing that one piece. It's not it's not essential that that piece be there. It's just odd that it's missing. Yeah, it does feel intentional though. No, it does. I'm not disagreeing with that. Yeah, this is very much like yeah, we have hot people. We don't care. So what? <laughs> Watch Tom Cruise jump off this fucking building. Yeah, I think that's it. No, Tom Cruise never allowed anyone to outshine him in any of his movies. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Yeah, no one. Yeah, the woman. No, nothing is allowed to be sexy because Tom Cruise thinks he should be sexier. <laughs> That's our answer, guys. We did it. We solved Mission Impossible. <laughs> uh, but no, like, like, but no, like Rogue Nation, like, really cemented the team of what it's going to be. Like, what I can only assume for the rest of the franchise. Yeah, at least the ones I most care about, like Ving Rhames comes back and. This is the only franchise I remember Ving Rhames being in anymore. I don't know if he's in anything. Yeah, else. we got Ving Rhames. We got um, we got Simon, Simon Pegg. Pegg. Uh, yeah. Jeremy Renner did get like uh, cemented as part of the team in this movie too. Yeah, he and just disappears for six. <laughs> he disappears for six, but they keep Alec Baldwin. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that'll keep being true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we have no idea. Uh, and then also Rebecca Ferguson, which yeah. she's great. I want to see yeah. more. I want to see more stuff she's in, but I don't feel like. But I don't feel like locking myself into whatever the fuck Dune ends up being in terms of running time. I, I don't give a shit about Dune. <laughs> I tried reading the book and I'm it might just be well, it, might, it might just been in one of my like my like reading slumps. Well, what's funny to me is that everyone cares about the first book, which is basically just space politics. Yeah. They don't seem to care about the subsequent books where everything goes batshit crazy. Yeah, where like the son of Paul Atreides becomes like a worm god. Yeah, like a worm slithers into his head and becomes a giant brain guy worm god. Yeah, and then like the and like the Quetzal Tatarak gets revealed as like the fifth resurrected clone of Duncan Idaho. Mm-hmm. There's like a guy named Duncan Idaho. Yeah, the seventies were weird. <laughs> yeah, it's a weird time. But yeah, so like it's like just having having that movie having like uh, Rogue Nation set up be like the transitionary point between old Mission Impossible and new Mission Impossible is move into Fallout and it starts with Tom Cruise being dusted by a nuclear explosion in like yeah. a very graphic way like it wasn't Barefoot Gen but it was close well yeah because Barefoot Gen would never be shown anymore even Japan doesn't want to show Barefoot Gen anymore except in history museums yeah but it was so horrifying yeah, but like you don't you don't go to a Mission Impossible movie and expect to watch a man's face crumble to dust and reveal his skull beneath, which then also turns to dust. Yeah, or a small child's eye pop out of a uh, their skull as it bursts from the heat. In reference, that's Barefoot Gen, not Mission Impossible. People. Okay, fair enough. Oh, I thought it was Mission Impossible. <laughs> if, if that was Mission Impossible, excited. If that was Mission Impossible. <laughs> Just, just all of a sudden we get to six and it's like all right cool we're gonna watch this child melt and that's our bad guy i mean that would be fucking awesome yeah but anyway, mission impossible six so they beat the syndicate solomon lane is in jail everything's fucking hunky-dory whoopsie doops no it's not they got the act they got the apostles now which is a splinter group from inside the syndicate who were actually the ones who kind of brought about like the new world order messaging within the syndicate but also didn't, but also did. I'm not sure. 
I'm not sure how the apostles and the syndicate really relate to each other. Yeah, which again is my point that I don't I don't know if even Ethan I mean I guess he must care a little because he always constructs these movies. I don't think the the producers and writers mainly Tom Cruise, Christopher McQuarrie care that much about the the plot mechanics of these movies beyond just setting up situations for Ethan Hunt to be awesome and his I think team th- to do stuff. I think they care. I just think they're not very good at it. Like the writing side of it. Yeah, no. Because like there's just there's like there's like get people to come in and they go, all right, we got this, 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 and this. And it's like and the writer's just like, all right, cool. What happened? <laughs> Do you have well, like a problem- character Bible? And then they're both like, What's a Bible? What's a character? Hey. They know they know what characters are. They're the things that they put into dangerous situations. Exactly. I mean and Christopher McQuarrie wrote the last three movies in addition to directing them, so it's mainly just a two-man team controlling this thing, Tom Cruise and Christopher McQuarrie. But even then, it's a one-man team. (laughs) This is Tom Cruise's fucking project. He will... He will... He has a death grip on this fucking franchise until he dies falling off a cliff. I I love that you think that's going to be how it happens. It fucking has to be at this point. Like, imagine how disappointing it would be if Tom Cruise just, like, has a heart attack. No, no, no. What's going to happen is he's going to ascend because the alien chips will go. He's going to board a 747 and fly into a volcano and then possess the next person to become the next star of Mission Impossible. Uh, exactly. Thus, <laughs> he's thus earned it, will, it. Thus it will never die. <laughs> I must go now. My planet needs me. And my uh, planet is Earth. <laughs> Into the volcano, baby. My thetans will enter your head as you shampoo yourself. And if anybody's upset by what we're saying... Then you're a Scientologist. You're, you have the, some money? you're the person we're making fun of. Yeah. You're a Scientologist. A lot of disposable income. Join our Kofi. <laughs> Send us money and we'll watch your movies. <laughs> <laughs> Five bucks get you gets you a guaranteed choice of movie for us to watch, and you'll at least get me and Dead. Yeah. Also, some restrictions apply. But anyway, yeah. With Fallout, uh, we get Henry Cavill as August Walker. Psych. It's John Lark, a less interesting but somehow more memorable name than Solomon Lane. Yeah, he's the leader of apostles, uh, but he's also a secret CIA. But he's also a CIA agent trying to fucking shut down the IMF because the CIA sees him as a bunch of fucking Halloween store goobers, which is bizarre because you'd think the CIA would like know what they've done because they've done a lot of shit. Like, this is the sixth fucking movie. Like, they they blew up the Kremlin. Yeah. It just happened. On a routine job of theirs. And this was before Russia revealed itself to be the villain to everyone again. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like, this... This was a lot of fun, but it was also, like, really... It was a lot darker. And, like, heavier than I feel like it... The franchise can handle... 
Well, like, yeah, because to go darker and heavier, it needs it needs strong character stuff, and that's that's the one big weakness of the disposability of the writing of these Mission Impossible movies is that you can't really invest in the characters. You you can invest in anybody that isn't Ethan. Like you are able to invest in people that aren't Ethan Hunt, but you don't really because they're not Ethan Hunt. Yeah, and Ethan Hunt you can't really invest. I... Yeah, and Ethan Hunt you can't really invest in because. He's just Tom Cruise making a stunt reel. Yeah, the only scenes I remember from Mission Impossible Fallout distinctively, other than the stunts, are um, the scene where Henry Cavill cocks his biceps. Yep. And um, is that the, where that's from? That's where that's yeah. from. Also, uh, for anyone for anyone who doesn't know, this is also the reason why in Joss Whedon's Justice League. Uh, Superman had that weird like gum mouth thing because yeah. Henry Cavill couldn't shave his mustache for this role. So they had to CGI totally out his mustache. It. Even for a even for a disposable character like the villain of Mission Impossible 6, I would not blame him for prioritizing this role over the Zack Snyder the offhand Zack Snyder Justice League. <laughs> I feel like we can safely like blame that on Joss Whedon though. Yeah, we can. They both suck. Yeah, because you know, fuck Joss Whedon. I've liked some of his yeah, stuff. Uh, is, I've liked some of his stuff. Joss Whedon is a him. terrible person who made a not particularly good movie. Zack Snyder, as far as I can tell, seems to be a perfectly nice guy who just can't make a good DC movie. There we go. <laughs> and so many rabid asshole followers that just ruin his reputation. Kind of, yeah, actually. I was going to say, like, probably doesn't have much of a reputation, but, like, no, he... He's made some serviceable movies. He's releasing He's his own Star Wars movie on Netflix this year. Oh, Wait, what? That's horrendous. Wait, repeat what you just said? Uh, he's releasing his own version of Star Wars on Netflix okay. this year. I was about to say, there's a Star Wars movie on Netflix? When is Disney going to say something? Right, I, but if it's, I actually, if it's his own version, that's something else. Yeah, I my brain didn't connect the, uh, like, my brain didn't connect to the uh, the the thing he announced. I was like, "Wait, he's getting a Star Wars? What the what the where where did this happen? What the and, what?" And then I and then as soon as he said that, it, as soon as he said his own version of Star Wars, I'm like, "Right, that thing, the thing I cannot remember the title of." Rebel Moon. I forgot it as soon as you said it. Good, but I'm like one of the like with Mission Impossible Fallout. They've started they started getting a bit more self-aware of what they were doing. Where it where it's like more people like commenting on what Tom Cruise is doing. Like, like that that's a bit where like he like jumps on the like bag being carried beneath the beneath the flying helicopter as it's taking off. Yes. And Rebecca Ferguson just looks at us like, what is he doing? And Simon Pegg just runs up. It's like, it's better if you don't look. <laughs> and also, the more plays the masks because they bring the masks back in a big way in this, and I like that. I like the masks. I like the goofy shit. Yeah, I like the cartoon um, insane mask, which they set up in three. Yeah, and, and it, they and it was so fucking good the way they did it too, where they were like just where they like were trying to like uh, expose Walker, and so and so he was like going to re- going to like release Solomon because they they they, had, they like kidnapped Solomon from a from like jail, and we're going to trade him to the apostles to get like nuclear material back because the apostles were building nukes and because of course they are 
Yeah. And so they went to go like went to go trade him off, uh, but like left him alone in the cell for a while as uh, Walker comes in and he just starts getting angry at Lane just being like, why do you have to make this so fucking personal? You goddamn psychopath. He's one guy. Fuck him. We're trying to change the world. And then and then as he's like making fun of the IMF, he's like just a bunch of grown men wearing masks. Then he realizes what happened, goes, rips the mask off of Lane and Simon Pegg the entire time. It was, it was like bringing that shit back in a way that is inventive for, for Mission Impossible. It's appreciated. And like leaning into the goofy shit. Because that's what makes Mission Impossible for me. It's the like ridiculous masks, the ridiculous tech about everything. Like, fuck, I think it actually, it might have been in Fallout where they... Where, like, they got a guy from who was, like, working with the Apostles or whatever, and they basically tricked him into, like, thinking, like, oh, yeah, so, yeah, so the plane went off. They fucking set off the nukes. It was great. Great. Um, and then they need to get information out of him, so they, so they, like, gave, so they like, had a man, they had him, like, write up a manifesto, and then got Wolf Blitzer to read it out on air. And as soon as they get the, as soon as they get the information, they just cut the lights, all the walls fall away from the hospital. Turns out the Wolf Blitzer thing was just a fake report of Simon Pegg dressed up as Wolf Blitzer. Who just takes off the mask, still has the voice changer on to sound like Wolf Blitzer, just finish out, finishes out the scene. And then I think that's when the credits kick in. I it's, believe so, I don't remember. It's just so it's ridiculous and goofy and fun. And, like, fuck, the fact that they've kept the fucking credits from the original series. Like, kept the same, like, basic orchestration of the theme, it kept the same, like, uh, motif of just the fuse yeah. burning throughout. Yeah. I mean, it is a good theme. It's a great theme, and it's a great opening credits for a fucking movie. It's so much fucking... These movies are just really dumb fun, and I enjoy them immensely. And I'm very interested to see... I'm, like, I am most interested in seeing what the franchise does after Tom Cruise can't do it anymore, because that's the only way he's stopping. He's only stopping when he physically cannot do it anymore. Like what the franchise does after him and how long it'll last. I honestly think Tom Cruise will AI himself into the movies. Oh God. That's funny. That's ironic given what I've heard about the plot of seven, because apparently the plot of seven is that an evil AI is taking over the world and controlling the world's spy agencies but it has to get rid of Ethan Hunt because it can't, it just can't account for Ethan Hunt. It can't account for a man who cares about people first and mission second. <laughs> that was weird thing. There like, they, should they, be a thousand different instances where that happened that they could use as a reference. Nope. There is a single one. It's Ethan Hunt. He's the specialist boy. I mean, that's the big, pro- that's the one for a lot of people, big problem with, the Mission Impossible movies post like the first one is that because it's such a uh, Tom Cruise ego trip, the way the plot mechanics are designed to create a, t- a Tom Cruise ego trip can be a little off-putting if that bothers you. Yeah. A little? <laughs> yeah, this is very much a vanity project. But it's also a very well-made vanity project, which if you can get past the vanity aspect of it, that just leaves a very good project. But yeah, Mission Impossible. It's good. Let's move on to something that is now the opposite of good. Uh, I watched Death on the Nile. 
Oh, I'm going to leave this mostly to Cave, because I didn't really like this movie either, but he's got more to say on it than I do. <laughs> so I watched um, so I watched a Murder on the Orient Express a few months back and found it yeah. largely underwhelming. Yep. I thought it had like decent production design, uh, decent direction, but it just like very flatly told this story that had a conclusion I didn't very much like anyway. Yeah. Well, also, um, Cave, if you don't mind me repeating the question I asked you the last time we hung out, since it's appropriate for this uh, discussion. Um, I mind. <laughs> okay. Sorry that I won't ask it. Ask the question. <laughs> I didn't even do a bit. <laughs> uh, the last time we hung out, I asked you, based on both Death of the Nile and um, uh, or, or Murder on the Orient Express, does the character played by Kenneth Branagh resemble Hercule Poirot? Not at all. Yeah, okay. Glad we're in agreement on that. Yeah, so went to Death in the Nile and I laughed so hard I almost passed out. Oh, this will be good. So What's the reason? I can movie. think of several reasons why. I got so angry at this movie. It was the opening scene. The tragic backstory of both oh. why he has a mustache and why he has right. that style yeah. of mustache. <laughs> yeah, that is so fucking dumb. I almost passed out. Bertie, you've actually read Agatha Christie. Do they give a backstory to the mustache at any point? No. Yeah, because no, it doesn't fucking matter. Exactly. No, no, one, one thing I did learn recently, Cave, is that um, Agatha Christie only kept writing Hercule Poirot because she was his most popular character. But he, but even she was sick of him by the end. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Hercule Poirot is an asshole. <laughs> like, yeah, like, he's worse than Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> yeah, I. Uh, and yeah, so after the. After the harrowing backstory of how he got his mustache. Which. I've, That's even worse than the backstory of how um, Albert Wesker got his shades. Yeah, it's so fucking. You know what my favorite thing about that backstory is? What's that? I talked to someone who didn't realize that Hercule Poirot wasn't fighting the Nazis. <laughs> Wait, there was a World War before World War Two. <laughs> What you talking about, Willis? <laughs> and I was like, that that's not the Nazis he's fighting. And what's also really fucking funny to me is when he has the mustache on, it doesn't cover up where the scar would have been. Nope. Like, it's literally just, he has the mustache on, and then when he removes the mustache, they add in the scar tissue makeup. Mm-hmm. It's hilariously... It's hilariously, like, uh, fucking transparent what they're trying to do here they kenneth branagh saw modern movies and are like oh i need a backstory for stuff cool got it and then but just came hey, up with the you, most you told everyone the tragic backstory of why you grew hair correct yeah so one day <laughs> i was born and i had hair it's the most traumatic experience I of know. my life <laughs> there was so much blood I was on the bathroom floor. <laughs> Not a joke. 
That is not a joke. My mother is a psycho. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I was almost bored in an elevator. My mother chose to give birth to me in the bathroom. Okay. She set herself up. Okay, and it was your bathroom, right? It was my grandmother's bathroom because my mother was still living with her. Okay, but fair yes. enough. Just when you say bathroom, I immediately, my head immediately went to like, okay, Kay was born in the Burger King bathroom. <laughs> my mother doesn't eat Burger King. Don't disrespect her like that. It wasn't a matter of eating. Know. It was a matter of she needed a place to give birth to a kid and the Burger King was the closest open one. <laughs> no one willingly eats at Burger King. <sighs> but no, so Death of the Nile. After the dumbest opening scene in human history, there is a second dumb opening scene, which is one of the most fucking contrived things I think I've seen ever, where they have to get like 70% of the cast going forward in one room in another country before then transitioning over to Egypt, where they are also all there in one room in another country. Mm hmm. And, yeah, and that and that plot and that plot has been a, the plot of this book has been adapted before. I don't think the episode of the David Suchet show from the late '80s, early '90s is significantly better, but they don't make it feel as contrived. It is better. <laughs> it is. It is better. Like it's less. Hey, convenience, and more. Oh, this could feasibly happen. Yeah, and so we're going to be going over the entirety of the Death of the Nile because I guess we've all seen it. We all know what it is. Uh, Birdie and I went to see this shit in theaters. I'm sorry. <laughs> you shouldn't be. The creator should uh, at, at the time, I had a uh, flesh-eating um, parasite in my throat, so I just didn't want to be around people. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. He's not lying. Yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, so we're going to be talking about Death of the Nile. Full spoilers for all of this. If you haven't read the story or seen any of the adaptations, it's been out for like almost a century. That's on you, I feel. Yeah, seriously. If you're interested in this, there's a good adaptation out there. It's from like the 60s. But... Or just read the fucking book. Yeah, uh, watch the adaptation. <laughs> Okay, like, then. No, no, seriously. Uh, from my experience with the Agatha Christie I've read, the woman tried to write for theater and movies before movies were even really a thing. And she actually wrote most of her own original screenplays. So. Well, alrighty then. I have encountered some books which are better than the movies. Like most adaptations of the ABC murders kind of suck. Yeah, the ABC murders are way. Yeah, but. Uh... Alrighty then. So, Death in the Nile. Uh, so, Death in the Nile is. Hercule Poirot is in Egypt as uh, there is a as there is a couple um they're uh, celebrating their honeymoon and kind of just rubbing their wealth in the face of everybody in existence. Yeah, it, wasn't she like a famous like noble woman or something? Yeah, she was like an heiress or some shit. Yeah, so yeah, she did. played in this so, case by Gal Gadot, one of the few actresses in this who doesn't have a controversial history at the time this movie was made yeah <laughs> yeah it, it, this, this like, is a stacked cast and they're all assholes yeah kind of <laughs> like there isn't one good person in the group and i say that including my favorite character book because he's an asshole yeah and also 
completely superfluous and not needed in the story whatsoever. He's only there to die. Yep. And I fucking hated it. Yeah, it was dumb. Uh, like his also, entire purpose was to be murdered. Yeah, it also completely negated everything about him that was set up in fucking uh, murder, uh, murder on the Orient Express. Yeah, well, Dad only recently found out it's a real train. Yeah, I don't think that bo- that the the book from the movies is anything like the book from Agatha Christie's stories. So Whatsoever. Probably, yeah, so I think it's just Branagh wanted to do this, and hey. If anyone's seen the Artemis Fowl adaptation, (laughs) hearing the words Kenneth Branagh wanted to do this should fill you with terror. Absolute utter dread. I remember too much of that movie for how much I drank. That's because I did most of the drinking that night and you know it. But yeah, I still got pretty wasted. (laughs) So it's an heiress. She just got married to somebody uh, that in the movie, at least she met six weeks ago. And to be fair, that's part of the story. Like, it is supposed to be a whirlwind, like, rich people marriage. Okay. But it's not... That is, like... Like, the whole concept is, like, he was basically designed to be a man she couldn't help but fall in love with. Okay. And when I say designed, I mean literally. uh, Because, as is later revealed, all of this was a plan to get her money. Yay! Uh, Yeah, I... Is this one of those times, Cave, where you hope for a better twist because the obvious twist would just be lame? Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's what my thought was watching it. <laughs> and actually, mentioning that, is this a situation where the twist became so obvious due to later stories took inspiration from stuff like this? It's entirely possible. Yeah, I mean, this twist is not as obvious, is not as well known as the twist of Murder on the Orient Express, which I'm glad that my favorite Agatha Christie story is not Murder on the Orient Express, because then I would have a hard time being friends with Caveman. <laughs> but uh, For those of you who don't know, I'm a bit of a mystery buff. So whenever somebody says, oh, I love mysteries, my first question is, what's your favorite mystery? And if it's Murder on the Orient Express, I'm done talking to you. <laughs> Yeah, luckily for me, it was, and then there were none. But which is great, and has been like ruined also, by its adaptation. Yeah, also been done to death. Like its most recent recent adaptation, like decided the totally sensible final murder had to be redone in the most nonsense way possible. My favorite mystery is Ace Attorney. <laughs> I'm okay. I hope with that. You- I hope you have Cody fingers around mystery yeah. when you say that. But okay. oh, no, I'm sorry. My favorite mystery is Columbo. Oh, okay. That's I approve of that, too. <laughs> one other thing. Yeah. Oh, one more thing. Uh, but yeah, so, yeah, so it's big world and romance. There are a bunch of fucking people there. There is, um, like, the heiress's godmother, who's a communist and a secret lesbian. Uh, her, like, nursemaid the other secret lesbian. Uh, better half. (laughs) Yeah. Um, her, yeah. uh, The heiresses like former paramour, like some fucking doctor dude who wants to bork the Maris, the heiress. I thought they were cousins. Uh, no, that's the other guy, her cousin. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cousin Archie who like, who like runs the day to day of the business. Oh, runs it into the ground. Well, that's still running. (laughs) 
Uh, then I, I always love when rich people end up like, wait, what do you mean we have no money left? What do you mean we managed it poorly? I gave it to someone to manage for me. Yes, and he did it poorly. Yeah, so so we got them. Uh, then there is Eris, her husband. Her husband's former fiance and her former best friend. Yeah. Who is like the... She is like the... Uh, she is the psycho ex. Yeah, she's the psycho ex, like, and like the—that's the way they have her acting. Yeah, she's the psycho ex, and like the uh, inciting incident for the for the story, because like as they are going on their uh, honeymoon on like this like cruise ship along the Nile, she keeps showing up, and well, she kept showing up like wherever they went before they got in the boat. So then they heard they uh, approached Poirot, Poirot, and we're like, "Hey, please do something." And he's like, I am not working. That's not my job, lady. And then went to go do it anyway. Like, he's just a good person. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, that's the plot set up for a lot of the later Poirot novels where he's just like, look, I'm, just I'm trying guy, to be on vacation. Dude. Just because I'm a god to criminal science doesn't mean I have to solve every crime. Okay, I'll solve this one. And this one. Yeah. And, and this, this one. one. It's... <laughs> Yeah, anyway, so they so they get on the boat and things are going poorly. Oh right, there's also a jazz singer and her niece. Yeah. Their the movie edit, like, their movie editions, I believe. Possibly. And the jazz right. actor the jazz actress's the jazz singer's niece is played by uh, uh Leti- I believe the actress who plays Shuri. Yes, uh, Letitia Wright. Right. Man, I don't like seeing her in movies anymore. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember. You know she, why? I, right? can't remember she, I can't remember if she did anything else, but I know she was very anti-vax at the start of things. No, yeah, she she or Disney. She made Disney pay her five million dollars to agree to get a vaccination so she could star in Wakanda Forever, and then came out and did more anti-vaxxer protests while the movie was being filmed. Yep. And there's Russell Brand, who was on a similar vein as Letitia Wright. And there is Army Hammer, um, abuser and maybe cannibal. Yeah, I don't know if they ever confirmed the cannibal part. I know it came up a lot. but This uh, movie is difficult. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so the murder that happened. They're all like if I can if there's one thing positive I can say about this, the performances are pretty damn solid. Yeah, the performances are solid, like. Kenneth Branagh, nothing else. He's a decent director, and these people are all good actors. They're the, just trash people. Yeah. Like, like, I would not say I was ever a fan of Army Hammer, but I didn't dislike seeing him in things until recently. And I say recently, like in the last, like, three, four years. Like, I was about to watch Comment By Your Name when that, uh, when all that shit started coming out. I was like, uh, maybe not. But now that I've watched this, I really have no excuse to watch, to not watch Call Me By Your Name. But yeah, so the murder. The murder happens. So, uh, ex-girlfriend, she goes crazy, shoots her fucking, uh, ex-fiance in the leg. Before, Supposedly. Yes. We'll, we'll get there. If I, I'm not gonna sit, I'm not gonna sit around and let them be. Ooh, what's the mystery? They should have seen this by now. Neither am I. I'm gonna I'm gonna explain what the setup is and then explain what happened. Fine. Christ. 
You underestimate how much he dislikes these movies. Dead. <laughs> I liked the first one. I thought it was fun. Especially the way they changed it. This, however... Oh, boy. So, ex-fiance shoots... So, crazy girl shoots ex-fiance in the leg. Uh, she gets taken off as the other people go and get the doctor. Um, they come back and it's like, Oh, God, shot me in the fucking leg. Uh, take him to his room uh, where... And so, so the girlfriend is, so the girl is like drugged the entire night. Uh, fiance, uh, husband is, I don't know, in just in a bed with a bullet in his leg. And then the next morning, uh, the, the, uh, like handmaid of the fucking heiress comes out to bring her breakfast and then finds her dead in bed, single gunshot to the head. What, what is revealed is what happened was. The crazy girl and the fee and the husband, they never broke up. They were in it together to steal their fucking money. So what they did was she pretended to shoot him with a blank. He had some fucking red paint that he was like, what, they, they had planned to use red nail polish. Yes. They had planned and the to use red that. paint looked so fake. Yeah. They planned to use red nail polish um, from, but, but that was, but that was left in the hotel when they, when they uh, disembarked. And so they grabbed um, a random, uh, thing of carmine red paint from book's mother who was also there yes it did that uh and then he grabbed the gun that she had dropped under the couch ran upstairs shot his wife in the head it was a 22 which is which is their explanation for why it why no one heard it which that it's a very stupid thing but it, it's the thing about the ending that bugs me that i'll get to so yeah, shoots her in the head, uh, runs back downstairs, replaces one of the bullets uh, with a replaces the blank bullet that the uh, girlfriend shot with a real bullet. And then using a scarf uh, to muffle it, shoots himself in the leg to make it a real wound because they were about he knew he was going to get seen to by the doctor. Yeah. Uh, then wraps up the gun in the uh, hanker that in the hanky, handkerchief that had the paint on it as well as the scarf and hawk that overboard. Uh, and then it's like, oh, fuck. I got him shot. As things progress, more people die. Specifically, um, Leslie, the uh, the uh, handmaid of the heiress, she gets her, I think, uh, throat slit she or some to, shit. She tried to blackmail and, yeah, got a throat slit. Yeah. And then Book gets shot in the throat because he watched that happen. And then Poirot, in the process of chasing down the murderer throughout the halls of a very confined boat, never sees her face. Like, it's a thing that it, it bugs me when it happens in, it bugs me when it happens in some things like this, like, like having like the, having like the, oh, I'm chasing a killer, but I never see their face. That can work in some things. Actually, the example that comes to mind the most is fucking hot fuzz. Mm, yeah. Cause they, cause they had like the really great thing of like the multiple killers and like they're like the killer supposed to like teleportation abilities, but then also the killers all wore masks that covered the entirety of their face. Like it was always like old, like a uh, Halloween, like mesh blackout masks. Oh, I love those. Yeah. Like every single fucking killer when they were going out doing the killing stuff, or at least, or at least when we saw them doing the killing stuff, looked like they were wearing one of those in this. They just, yeah, they, just sorry, go ahead. Is I'm sorry. It's very, um, uh, crap. What's the term from Italy? Um, Jalo? you keep talking. Yeah, Giallo films, the ones with the black, the 
the dark-faced, black-gloved killer who you mostly just see the gloves with the murder weapon until the end. Yeah. But with this, it does not work because they're on a fucking boat. Yeah, they're on a boat. There's too few people, and these people are not similar enough in body type that you wouldn't be able to roughly figure out most of who these people are. They should at least be able to tell it's a woman. Yeah. Also, uh, this is a thing that I learned recently. Um, apparently, these movies, particularly the, the like these two movies, go out of their way to make Kenneth Branagh's Poirot almost an action hero with like running down fucking suspects and shit. Mm-hmm. Poirot never did that. <laughs> yeah, it just honestly, actually, going back to Vanity Projects, it kind of feels like what this is. This kind of feels like Kenneth Branagh was like, all right, what? All right, I want to be the lead of a project again. What can I get, What can I license for cheap? Well, I mean, to add to that, it's not enough for him to be the world's greatest detective. He has to get into gunfights, fistfights, chases. Which Poirot never did. Yeah, which is... <laughs> yeah, I, it... Like, not... like Hercule Poirot having a fistfight on top of a train during an avalanche is a bit much. A yeah. bit? it's fucking cartoonish yeah so anyway all that gets revealed in the final thing as they're like hey yeah y'all fucking did it did it and then the uh husband and uh crazy girlfriend uh they have a gun trying to train at everybody and so does poirot Mm -hmm. uh and so then the girlfriend is like Oh, I can't live without you. So she takes the twenty-two, puts it behind her boyfriend's back, and shoots through him into her, and they both die. Not gonna happen. Yeah, that was the same gun that point blank against Gal Gadot's head couldn't go through her skull. So like, why why would it go even through? Even if that was the luckiest shot in the world, the muscle and meat of the man would have stopped that bullet. Yeah, yeah and- it's like the scene in God, I can't believe I remember something from X-Men Apocalypse enough to reference this. um, uh, um, They had to make Magneto angry again so he would keep being Magneto. So they had his wife and daughter die by a single arrow piercing both of them from about 10 feet away. That's actually far more possible. From 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 a short bow? Okay, not so much possible. <laughs> yeah, like it it feels like a cinema sins criticism, but like it just really bugged me. Well, just, it's one of those the, the reason I don't I, I agree with that being considered a cinema sins criticism, but it's just one of those things that like takes you out of the scene. Absolutely. <laughs> like like the fact that it was like, like we had been shown how ineffective that gun was at like going through anything other than like one layer of something like he got shot shot in the fucking leg with it at point blank range. And it didn't go all the way through. Yeah. The idea was to have a bone, which is why it hurt him so much. Yeah. But still camp and I are going to have an example from an old, apparently beloved cartoon later tonight for that same purpose of just taking us out of the scene. But yeah. And then it ends with him fucking shaving the mustache because he overcame his grief. God. And when I saw that scene, I was like, oh, so there's not going to be any more of these. Psych, motherfucker. That is pretty much a retired Poirot. Yeah. Third well, movie coming out fall of 2023. A Haunting in Venice, based off of Halloween Party. 
fuckers. Where he now has the mustache back, doesn't have the scar anymore, and is out of retirement? In uh, Not retired? There's a different time period altogether? I don't fucking know. Who gives a shit, baby? Poirot will never die. So long as the little gray cells are working. <laughs> I know that that's a thing from the original. I fucking hate that. <laughs> yeah. Poirot is an asshole. Yeah. Uh, so, moving on from there. Uh, a bit of a jump in quality, but not too much of a jump. Uh, I watched Scream, a.k.a. Five Cream. <laughs> I still have yet to see that. I need to see that movie. Eh. I'm a horror movie buff. The Screams what are movie? kind of a uh, The oh. fifth Scream. Oh, well, you're you're behind now, Cave. We're up to I six know. and, and I seven is coming out. I know, I know. I need to get on my game. Yeah, so, uh, do you care about spoilers for Five Cream? Fuck no. Alrighty, cool. Uh, so, this is not very good. <laughs> I'm not gonna say bad. Because I don't think it goes far enough to be bad. It's just, it's just not very good. Yeah, it's just kind of lame. It doesn't take the spot of the worst Scream because Scream 3 still exists. Yeah, yeah. It is... Nothing's been <laughs> Yeah, it is, for me, very comfortably in the middle between Scream 3 and whatever my, whatever my third place pick is between 2 and 4. <laughs> because 2 and 4 alternate. Yeah, it depends on the mood. Also, I'm just... Since this already started out as a franchise making meta jokes about the horror franchise, and the most recent ones have been horror jokes about people making horror podcasts about horror movies and their tropes. Don't get that started on the horror podcast again. I can't go through that. <laughs> uh, the, uh, well, no, actually, th actually, this time with the horror podcast stuff, they bring in actual people like the channel Dead Meat. I just keep getting flashbacks to when we watched the Scream TV series. Yes, Scream season two. Oh, no. Just the horrendous production on that podcast. <laughs> but no, like, they, they like they have dead, like, so, Five Cream, I'm going to keep calling it Five Cream, because I'm not going to be calling it Scream. Well, I mean, do you call it, do you call Four Scraforum? Sometimes. Yes. But I also funny. respect, but I also respect that one more. Yeah, it's far better. I don't need to have seen it to even know that much. Yeah, so Five Cream is kind of the it's kind of the end of the Ouroboros because Scream 4 began eating its own tail by having by having the like, like Scream 4 Scream's always been eating its own tail in terms of its meta-ness because it is a movie based on the horror tropes of movies that within the movie itself is making a movie out of the horror tropes they were making fun of with the stab movies. Yeah. I love the stab movies. Yeah. Like that's uh, such a, such a fun concept. Scream four was kind of the, it felt like a capstone on that with uh, it being with it being like, all right, they made it up to stab seven. And now we're just kind of, and then Stab was just kind of done there. And now we're kind of like going into 
like like i don't know ending and look like ending uh like modern horror stuff or like modern for like 2011 and whatever the fuck it's been a while since i've seen scream 4 but that felt like they were like being to choke on their own tail with scream scream 4's main point was talking about like 10 15 year later reboots to horror franchises that everyone thought was dead in the water yeah. And old fans complaining about the new changes. Okay, yeah. And we get to Scream 5. And it's all about... Requels. Which are... For those who haven't heard the term... It's the, the portmanteau of remake and sequel. It's those like decades later things that are technically sequels... But also just technically the first movie again. Yeah, so... Halloween 2018 would be one of these. Yeah. And also kind of sometimes talks about elevated horror. God, I hate that term. <laughs> Which, if you want to know what elevated horror movie is, watch anything from A24. Which is why I hate the term, because some A24 movies are so awful that I don't understand why you get to call them elevated. What the fuck does that even mean? Elevated horror... It means hor- that there are... Okay, dead set, and I'm going to give my opinion on it. Okay, elevated horror is... Horror movies that are dealing with deeper themes and subject matter than standard horror stuff. Like The Babadook is a look at like grief and like the like, like the trials of the trivia, like single motherhood and stuff, while also being about a weird monster that makes you kill your dog. Basically, they treat like slasher movies, monster movies, and the like as like lesser. Lesser so and unartistic. So it's it's arrogant horror. In many cases, yes. Sometimes because it's quality it's is much, enough. It's like main, if you dig deep enough, pretty much every horror movie, its themes are about far deeper things than just a guy trying to kill you. Yeah, no, it's mainly like the fans and then one or two directors who are like talking about elevated horror like that. People who know horror know this. Like they look at something like the Babadook and the Wit and like the Vavitch or whatever, and they're like, yes, those are good. That doesn't make other stuff worse. Other yeah. people then, look at like Babadook and the and the witch and go like, "Oh, that's what horror should be." The and then you have is. garbage horror movies like Smile that think they're <laughs> hot shit because they talk about trauma. Fucking Smile. <laughs> oh god. Yeah, and so this Five Cream is setting up as the next generation of Scream. This is, we have, a, we have a whole new cast. We have, we have like new characters as the focus. We have all this other shit going on. And, no, and none of the new shit really works for me. Specifically the new Sydney. No, particularly Hello, Sydney. Is her backstory a retcon? Cause it yes. feels like a retcon. Okay. <laughs> it absolutely is. And it's fucking idiotic. Yeah, and I don't want to spoil it because I know if I watch this movie with Cave, I'm going to get a full-on, well, what the fuck reaction from him if you... <laughs> but I already told Dad he could spoil things. Yeah, and I want to talk about it because it's really dumb. All right, can I say it then? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, The Sydney of Scream... Of, I'm sorry, Five Cream... Her name is, is Sam. The, uh, ...is the daughter of the killer from the first movie. What?! She is Billy Loomis's daughter. 
and she may have the serial killer gene. Yeah, that's the other thing. Being a murderer is hereditary, and they play it up more in six. Yeah, she has frequent hallucinations of dead Billy Loomis talking to her, saying like, hey, go unleash the fucking murderer in you and stuff. And then she gets the final kill on like the on like one of the she gets the final kill on one of the uh like ghost faces in this movie with a horrendous going into kill line. She says, Don't fuck with the daughter of a serial killer. And then stabs him in the mouth with the knife and then just keeps stabbing him over and over and over again. And, and that doesn't even kill him. And then she does the whole like wipe the blood off the blade thing that Ghostface does sometimes. You know, just instinctually because that's hereditary again. Like. Birdie, if we're going to watch this, I'm going to need booze. Like fucking the genetic serial killer stuff that works in like a hack slash. Not in Scream. Which is funny because the Scream movies were always about making fun of schlocky slasher movies. Yeah, it's just... But a... they also sometimes can't escape the tropes of, sl- of sl- schlocky slasher movies. There's nothing biological about being a killer. Yes. There's nothing biological about... There's also nothing biological about, like, the methodology of serial killers. Like, you can't inherit the instinctual need to, like, wipe the blood off the blade like a ghost face. I mean, at least when, um... Friday the 13th briefly tried to get rid of Jason Voorhees. They just suggested someone was possessed by his madness. As dumb as that is, that's less insane and stupid. Than I, I feel the like I need to say killer. why this is violently offensive to me. Okay. Okay. I'm black. <laughs> and it has. And? Been, it was not an uncommon idea for a time oh, that yes. black people were going to be hereditarily criminals. Well, yes, I've seen the phrenology maps. It is highly offensive to me whenever anybody suggests that villainy is hereditary. Yeah. I mean, even even, um, Freddy Krueger's daughter didn't do the hereditary serial killer thing. She just killed Freddy Krueger because Freddy Krueger was a dick. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so... It starts off with Jenna Ortega, who honestly probably should have been the lead fucking girl in this goddamn franchise now. Yeah, she really should have been. It's weird that she's not. Yeah, uh, she starts out in the first kill uh, of the scream, but this subverts your expectations on that by having her live. Yeah, which I it's weird that we, it's weird that we are now in a point in the scream timeline that scream has to subvert itself. I mean, I knew well, yeah, it was like going to happen. Or a Boris. <laughs> like, I, like, like, as soon as Scream made Scream 3, I was like, oh, they're eventually going to have to start making fun of themselves. Yeah, and so... It's like, the first... The opening scene is actually pretty solid. Um, it's a pretty solid, like, Scream opening. It's, um... It's like Jenna Ortega at home, uh, like, texting her friend. This guy about, like, hey, you coming over? I got my dad's... I got my parents' liquor cabinet unlocked. Let's fucking get... So I can get turned. It's getting messed up. Yeah, and then someone calls her, and it's like, "Hey, I'm." It's like, "Hey, is your mom there?" Like, says her mom calls her mom by name. It's like, "Yeah, I know her from group," and starts talking to her about like how what her mom thinks of her, because like oh, apparently, she, because apparently she and her mom have like a rocky history or something. But yeah, the guy's just like, "Yeah, your mom, your mom loves you." 
and just kind of like you know kind of like getting deeper and deeper into that stuff and then and then does the ghost face turn of course uh and they do a solid thing of like setting up like because of like the modern day and stuff they do a decent thing with the technology because all of her locks and like her home security is controlled through her phone oh god i hate people who do that <laughs> and and so it's like her trying to like lock her doors over and over again as someone else just keeps unlocking them from the outside of course because that's they cloned why her... you don't that's why you don't do that yeah because they cloned her phone everything and they and they uh get in and then they get into um the what's your favorite scary movie trivia section and it's questions about the stab franchise oh that's awesome like, where that's cool yeah where she gets the final question wrong Aww. because the final question is who was the killer of the first stab movie and she says billy loomis full stop oh poor dear yeah sorry not complete correct answer yep you have to give a complete answer if you want to live yep so then she gets stabbed but but survives and then her sister a uh, long like kind of like a strange sister off in some other state uh gets gets a call saying gets a call from like a, her old group of friends because uh jenna ortega's sister sam used to babysit all of jenna ortega's friends and that's kind of how she gets called back in she's called, called back in by wes a kid named after director wes craven i approve of that uh who's played by the lead kid from 13 reasons why never mind <laughs> does he have more than one facial expression I think like a second or third call when you get when he gets stabbed in the neck. At this point, I think Dead's doing it on purpose. Doing what on purpose? <laughs> oh, I appreciate that. Never mind. <laughs> you set me up, and then you knock me back down. I don't set you up. You set yourself up. You take the pause, Dead. You take the pause. <laughs> yeah, I think at that point it's just instinctual. Just like I know you're going to say something, so then I can just come in for a comedy undercut. <laughs> But no, um, yeah. So she, yeah, she gets called back in. Uh, she comes in with her boyfriend, played by Jack Quaid, who we'll be talking about later in the show. Quaid. Uh, and then yeah, we just kind of get into um, what Scream is now with the new group of kids. Uh, one of whom, Wes, is the daughter of the sheriff, who was the uh, who was the uh, blonde cop lady from Four. Uh, Have we, I seen Four? Have you seen Four? I need to see, check and see if I've seen Scream 4. Uh, I know I've seen 4 because one of my favorite characters from 4 comes back in 6. Yep, which, not a fan of. Yeah, that's the one where they try and set up a sequel series, but then Sydney's like, fuck you, bitch. Hey, and yeah, Fibber her cousin. I've seen Scream 4. Yeah, so remember the uh, cop lady in that who was like, really into Dewey? Yes! Yeah, Wes is her kid. Her. Okay. And she's also sheriff now. Uh, we got um, a random girl. We got the twin nephew and niece of Randy from the first movie. Uh, Randy is the fuck. Do you, do you know he's Randy? The, he's the movie fan. Okay. Yes. I wasn't sure if you'd remember. I, I, I can never remember if you don't remember like character names as well. I don't usually, but he sticks out because he was actually the character. I was like, hey, that'd be me. Yeah. And so uh, in yeah. and yeah. then he became son of the mask and I was sad. Well, no, he didn't become son of the mask. He became the mask and his son was son of the mask. Uh, yeah. 
Either way, terrible. <laughs> it's an awful movie. Do not watch it. It is horrendous. I know he's in the recent Tremors movies. Yeah, and those are also kind of sad. <laughs> it gives Michael Gross a paycheck. And it's, probably, and it's probably a better paycheck than the uh, Asylum movies. I mean, these are basically on the level of Asylum movies. Yeah. So, back to the movie we were talking about. Yeah, so yeah, so uh, it's Randy's uh, niece and nephew, and then some fucking rando. <laughs> some fucking rando. You gotta, you gotta love being the rando. Oh my god, some guy. Well, no, yeah, he, I was cast as Rando. Oh no, sorry. He he wasn't in the group. He used to date one of the girls in the group, and now he just kind of hangs around. Oh, so he's a dead body. Uh yes. Okay. Oh, also, uh, Jenna Ortega's uh, best fucking friend. You can. I I love horror movies, but you can always tell. Yeah. So they all begin kind of realizing what's happening, and what's happening is somebody is trying to make a new stab movie because the last one was so awful it killed the franchise. Hi, <laughs> Scream 4. I'm joking. I am joking. Yeah, that was yeah, Scream no, 3. That only worked for 3. Yeah. <laughs> Which makes it confusing that this is the plot they're using for Scream 5, but whatever. Yeah. Uh, I believe they also, I believe, uh, yeah, I believe like the killer's been on Reddit. Oh, Lord. But no, yeah, so it is, yes, yeah, so it is these people trying to make a new stab because stab eight was so awful because it was like, hey, there are multiple ghost face now all running around. They all have like chrome masks on. They have like a flamethrower. That sounds awful. Yeah. And, that, and that's actually where the dead meat channel comes in because dead meat fucking props to them. I have I don't think I've ever watched a single video of theirs. They have managed to cement themselves as staples of the modern horror community and fucking props to them. They fucking earned it, I guess. Yeah, I've watched some of Dead Meat. They put out quality stuff. Yeah, like, like they put out entertaining shit. Yeah, like they've been in this, they were in like the uh they were in effectively like all the videos of like Ice Nine Kills, Welcome to Horrorwood, uh Silver Screen 2 album. Which, for those that know, Ice Nine Kills, they put out the Silver Screen albums, which are just massive albums where every song is built around and references a specific horror movie. Oh, yeah. Those those were great. Yeah. And so they had a series of videos for the Silver Screen 2 where they were like where like uh, the lead singer of the band was arrested for murdering his fiance. And every music video featured his fiance and him and his fiance got killed by him. And so it's the cops like investigating this and the dead meat people are some of the cops in the room. One of them gets uh, melted in an, in an acid shower. Another one gets his head exploded. Perfectly reasonable. Yeah, it's great. And yeah, so, uh, so yeah, people start dying off one by one, you know, scream, be how it do. Do uh, how it be. Uh, but this, I, I do not like their physicality on Ghostface in this one. Like it, it's something that I saw in the trailer for six. They're giving too much reverence to Ghostface. I feel. Yeah, they're treating Ghostface less like a means to an end and more like some legendary serial killer. Yeah, Ghostface. But he is. He is, but he also isn't. Like he is in mythos. In reality, he's a fucking goober. Like, because like that's the thing, Ghostface became legend because of other people retelling the story. Like you look at scream one, 
Ghostface is a fucking dork. He gets fucking beat up by everybody, gets tripped over everything. He gets fucking stuck indoors and shit. Like one of his one of the primary kills he has in that movie is completely by accident. But to counter this, this Ghostface is trying to prompt a better version of a movie. So if he can't do it better, then he can't prompt this. And counter like he that has to be better. And counter that counterpoint. He's from Reddit. Are you saying a Reddit bro can't work out? Yes. Can't get better? <laughs> I say this as a Reddit person. But I'm no, a Reddit person. I'm working out. But, but no, like, like the, the idea is anymore. Ghostface becomes cool from other people. Ghostface himself isn't cool. Because like having, having him try to be cool and then fucking it up. That's one thing. Having him just be cool. Like the slow walk towards people as you like slowly like twirls the knife around having him having him like 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 Ghostface is a flaily like stabbing out in the darkness weirdo who is just like hoping his hoping against hope that this person fucks up enough and is surprised enough that he's able to get this fucking knife yeah, in and he, twist he's, it. He's often cave like the he's like I have watched own. every one of these movies except for the last two or three now since the third one's coming out. Uh, yeah, two. So you're, you're aware then that the problem with him is that he's often basically like a flailing Looney Tune. Yes, I I would agree. Like often, Ghostface is completely inept. But I can also see at this point, like, hey, I could see a Reddit bro like actually putting in the effort to practice in front of the mirror the slow pace walk. Yeah, but like, like that the, before he actually even gets out, starts his murder fest. I could see that loser Reddit asshole. Like, all right, I got to do the knife flick. Oh okay. wait, I can, I'm not going to be able to lick the knife because I'm going to have the mask on. Okay, okay. okay. Uh, do you remember? Do you remember when we talked about evil? No. Okay, so there was a bit in Evil where like they're like a like this like the demons guys were like trying to incite a like. We're trying to take a guy who just got done by his girlfriend and turn him into a, like a men's right activist asshole and get him to shoot up a church. Yeah, I do remember that now. And then it was him practicing in front of the mirror, being all cool and actually like, shot himself in the face. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or you're right. Or as another movie you hated, Cave. Do you remember Better Watch Out? Not at all. It was the uh, Christmas horror movie about a guy who wanted to fuck his babysitter. So. He kept trying to. He tried to forcefully engineer a slasher situation to make himself look heroic, and he kept fucking it up. So he kept having to kill people in front of her. No, I do not remember this at all. <laughs> How drunk were you when you watched it? How drunk was I? Um, you told me to turn it off, so probably pretty, pretty drunk. There you go. Oh, this sounds terrible. <laughs> but yeah, so like that is the ghost face energy. But having him just be competent, it doesn't make him look cool. It makes everyone else look worse. Because I, I think Ghostface is a fucking just guy. Yeah, no, I actually like with that argument, I agree with you. Yeah, like like one of the reasons Sydney is like propped up, rightfully so, as one of the most, like, as one of, like, the best final girls is because she's not, like, super strong or, like, super capable. She's just competent at stuff. She's, and she performs, like, she acts rationally. Yeah, she's just like, not an idiot. Like, that's the big thing, is, like, 
Like so many like other characters in horror movies are just like, I'm going to run and hide in the chainsaw shack when a guy who wields a chainsaw is coming after them. Yeah. And yeah, so I'm going to talk about this for all. So I'll wrap up now, but about screen, about screen five, just, just like final things. Uh, so they do bring back some of the original cast. And I will say the actual, so one of the, one of the things that like worried me the most from the trailer was the line from uh, Nev Campbell. I'm Sydney. I'm Sydney fucking Prescott. Of course I have a gun. <laughs> Cause I was like, Oh, that the way it was cut in the trailer seemed like that was supposed to be like a badass like, like I'm Sydney fucking Prescott. Of course I have a gun. Yeah, I feel like that was a reaction to Halloween 2018. Yeah. With the like uber badass grandma. Uh, what is that character's name? Uh, uh, Lori Strode. Lori Strode, yeah. Yeah, but, th- but then getting into the actual movie, that line reads less like that and more like, man, I'm fucking, I'm Sydney fucking Prescott. Of course, man, this shit keeps happening. Of course, I have a gun. Like, seriously, is is it a day of the week? Yeah. Someone's gonna try and murder me to get famous. Is it the, is it a day that ends in Y? Oh fuck! Time to go find a fucking cap an idiot. Also, Gotta actually, be ready. Yeah. Also, actually, this movie does technically canonize Scream Three because because Is that it in question. Uh, not not really in question. They just kind of ignored it. Okay. But this like fully roots it because in this movie it's established that she married the fucking McDreamy cop from Scream Three. Oh, that's good. Yeah, she has kids now. They were a cute couple. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, so Dewey is horrendously depressed. He and Gail broke up. And now he's living in a trailer, just drinking every day and turning on the TV at 11 a.m. every morning to watch Gail's show because the only way he can see her anymore. Aw, Dewey. That's not healthy. <laughs> yeah, and Sydney is living her best life. So is Gail. Why do they got to do Dewey wrong? And then they murder Dewey. Motherfuckers. Yeah, Dewey dies. Dewey. Jackasses. Yeah, then uh, Sydney and Gail. uh, Well, Gail was already in town because uh, she, because like Dewey texted her that Ghostface was back. And so she rolled up like, a fucking text, you dumbass. (laughs) (laughs) And her studio like insisted she bring a camera crew with her. Of course they did. Yeah. Meanwhile, Sydney was staying I mean, away. That's all she's good for. Yeah. Meanwhile, Sydney was staying away. Uh, and then Dewey dies. And then she shows up. Of course. Uh, and then the big final climactic finish uh, happens at Stu Mocker's house. Holy shit. That's a callback. Uh, yeah, because uh, one of the killers, um, Amber, uh, Jenny Ortega, uh, Jenna Ortega's best friend, uh, she lives there. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, when she found out about it, she was like, oh, fuck, this is awesome. And then Sam's boyfriend, Jack Quaid, is revealed as the other killer. As they're like, yeah, we're going to fucking kill all you. We're going to make it look like fucking Jenna Ortega did it or some shit. And then we're going to survive and tell the story. Blood, lady, lady. That never works. Yeah, but it'll work for them. That never works. As, yeah, then uh, Amber gets uh, covered in hand sanitizer and set on fire. Nice. And then Jack Quaid gets stabbed 25 times and then shot in the head three times. Yeah, I approve. At which point, Amber, completely scorched to hell, runs out of the kitchen with a knife screaming. Then Jenna Ortega gets the final shot on him. On her, I mean. Like, it is... The beginning of the movie was very much, we are making something new. We have the callbacks to the other people, but we're going to be focusing on these characters. Then we get to the end, and it's like, oh, these characters aren't working. Let's bring back the old people. Pull the ripcord. 
Yeah, I, I, and what I've heard of six, I do not have hopes that it'll be good. It's not really that good. The only I kind of like that Hayden Panettiere is back because I kind of liked her in four. But yeah, I liked her in four too. If they wanted her back, they shouldn't have killed her. Like it, like that. That's kind of the well, biggest. I, I, can, I can forgive the franchise for that because they've killed Dewey on screen so many times that I was amazed it stuck this time. Yeah, but he also like lived by the end. Like, it, like if if it had have been Hayden Panettiere gets stabbed, and then at the end of it, it's like, oh yeah, we got your friend Kirby. She's, she's he should have at least been paralyzed by two when he got stabbed in the spine. But he got stabbed. In, but he got stabbed in the spine in this in the nerve in the scar tissue, so it protected him. God, that's depressing. He got stabbed in the spine so many times his spine was stab proof. That is so depressingly true. That's the life of Dewey, baby. And they got to do Dewey bad every movie. Yep, and then they did him worse by killing him. I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if they found a way to do him even worse in the sixth film. Yeah, they got the sixth film, and he just recorded his own like Randy thing. Yeah, oh, he recorded. Because... I still love you. Oh, I wonder if it's because he and Courtney Cox got divorced. Why would they? Why would they wait until now to do it? Well, because they weren't divorced by four, weren't they? No, I don't think so. Uh, but yeah. Uh, so last thing to say about uh, this, they do. A very dumb thing. They That's do. One? Uh, yes, this this might be the dumbest thing they've done. They they had a they, they showed a scene from Stab, but it was a scene from Stab that they filmed today, which is the stupidest thing they could have fucking done, because Stab like the whole joke with Stab was that the first Stab was built around the popular but seen as untalented actors of the day. Your Tory Spellings, your Luke Wilsons. And so Randy is a particularly important role in Stab. So why the fuck would they cast some random jobber as Randy? Because that's who they fucking got. It was a Randy scene. It was just some fucking guy. Not a recognizable name. No one anyone has ever heard of. Just some guy who can do a very bad Jamie Kennedy as Randy impression. And then that was it. Just they did that. And then and they showed it for a while. The only thing I can think of is it's like that opening. It's it's a joke that doesn't work as well because it's not intended to be a joke. Unlike this instance where in the second Austin Powers, when they're filming the Austin Powers movie, Austin Powers is played by Tom Cruise. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah, I, I just I really hated it. I really hated that. The movie overall, bleh. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. It's not great. Uh, now I've, now the I've franchise has basically peaked after the first one, and it's just kind of... Aside from three, it's never collapsed, but it's kind of limping along at this point. Yeah. Now I realize I've been talking for almost two hours, so I'm going to just go... I'm just blaze through my uh, my final TV stuff. Uh, so I started watching The Marvelous Miss Maisel. Or The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Have either of you heard of this show? Yeah. This is the this is the story about the crash Jewish comedian. Yes, I've There's seen a it woman. advertised. Never been interested in watching it. It's pretty solid. Yeah, for those who don't know, it's a uh, set in like the late fifties, early sixties. Yeah, and it's about um, it's about um, uh, Miriam Maisel, uh, a Jewish a Jewish New Yorker uh, who 
whose life falls apart when her husband uh, like just leaves her for her for a secretary. And then that ends up leading her into a whirlwind career as a stand up comedian. And it's solid. It does like it. Like I, I'm, I've enjoyed the story a lot of it. Um, it, the production design is the most striking thing because it looks like a musical. Like it's all like very brightly colored, very like wide streets. Um, all of it is like timed, very chore- like very choreographed timed music. For lots of they do like, like she gets she gets a job at like a department store, and them checking in and then checking themselves in the mirror before going out on the show floor is, it's set up like a musical bit. And that's the entire show. And it makes and it gives it like this very distinct in and out of time feel to it. Because it feels because it is very much the 60s. It's still like the 60s, um, like gender politics and all that other shit. Um, but it is. But it feels fake and artificial because it is because it's you know, a TV show. But it, it I, I really enjoy the way it looks. Um, and. Miss Maisel, Mrs. Maisel herself, uh, played by a Rachel Brosnahan. I have no idea how to pronounce her last name. I think she does a really solid job as uh, like having like the cadence of a stand-up comic. Because that's always the thing. Like stand-up comedy is a very specific kind of skill set that not many ev- people think they can do. Yeah, actually, 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 her ex-husband. That's kind of the starting. That's kind of the jumping off point. He's like at an open mic night trying to do a stand up comedy bit, which he just straight up jacked from Bob Newhart. Like he stole his entire bit and does it poorly. And that's kind of what leads to him leaving her. Finally, he like goes and does his like goes and does his Bob Newhart bit. It bombs. She starts like giving him pointers. And then he's like, you know what? I'm done. I'm leaving you. And like, and like she gets like uh, the person who like runs the club that she goes into. Uh, she becomes the other main character. Um, it's uh, Alex Bornstein, uh, the voice of Lois Griffin on Family Guy. For people who know, uh, she kind of becomes her manager. And yeah, it's just the two of them just trying to carve out a niche in in stand up comedy in the '60s as a woman, because they really shy away from that, and they really shy away from she is a woman in the '60s were bad for women. They do kind of shy away from some of the race stuff because, as far as I can tell from what I've watched, there's one black character. Woo! We got a black character! And she is a side character in a side story of the main characters. She exists! Yes, and she's a model in uh, in a very specifically black women magazine. I cannot remember the name of it. I think it was like Skin or something. But yeah, she's there. They don't really get into. Um, oh, sorry. There is also a uh, jazz quartet that she meets who are also black. Uh, but I think they're there for like one scene, and then they leave. I don't know, man. But no, it's it's funny. I like. I think the jokes work. Um, they do a really great job of like having stand up comedy be. They really do a great job of, like showing some of the mechanics of stand up comedy. Like there's a couple of montage scenes of her like workshopping jokes. It'll show her like during the middle of a set telling a joke for the first time, then flash forward a little bit. She's at a different set telling the same joke, but it's worked differently and it gets a bigger reaction. And then final, final time with it, same joke, completely different setup and everything, but still like basic structure of a joke, massive reaction. Boom. Joke is set. 
it's something that nobody talks about with stand-up comedy. We have to like workshop jokes. Like we don't have to do, we don't have to work on that because we're idiots and we're not doing comedy. We're just doing, we're doing, we're we're not funny. Yeah. We're doing, we're doing commentary and review that we think is funny. Sometimes. I don't think I'm funny. Cora isn't writing my jokes. I'm not funny. Boom. There we go. Uh, but yeah, so it's got that. Those have like a couple of very decent, um, like comedy bits themselves. They have this one comedian whose entire act is a deconstruction of a ventriloquist act because he comes out on stage and he's like, and he's like about to break down crying because his partner died. And he pulls out a ventriloquist dummy that's dead. And then he starts going through his act where he does his bit and then says, and then my dummy would say, then does that bit and just goes back and forth like that. It's a very weird deconstruction of it. And then we see later where he brings out a second dummy with the old dummy still dead on his lap to do the bit as the old dummy is referencing the dead body on his lap. It's very weird stand-up comedy that I fucking loved. That sounds so depressing. <laughs> it was it's all in how you tell it. I would just want, I would just be like, do you need a hug after he was done? Just- he knows it's a bit. It's the act. He's putting on a it's an act, man. I still feel bad. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah. I have only a couple seasons in. I think it's like a four season show. And it's done. Five and I think fifth is the last season. Okay. Yeah. Fifth is, I, knew, I know it's done. Fifth is the last season. Uh, and I'll probably keep coming back to it. It's been, it's been fun to watch. I've been enjoying it. And then finally. I mean, part of me wants to watch it just to see a role from uh, Tony Shalhoub that's not Monk. Yes. Tony Shalhoub is great in this. He plays her dad. Tony Shalhoub is great in a lot of the things that he's in. Yeah. Like, he has other roles other than Monk, and, like, give him a watch. Like, look up his look up his uh, filmography. I've seen him in several things, and I've loved him in pretty much everything I've seen him in. He was a Master Splinter once. Twice. There were, God, two, there were two Michael Bay TMNT movies. I didn't know that. Yeah. I'm still not going to watch those. Fair. They sucked. Yeah, they weren't good. Which is weird because they had decent turtles, like not design, but like character and acting wise. That that doesn't change the fact that they were made like the Michael Bay former's movies. They just weren't directed by him. Yeah, no, just like take that same cast, maybe get a different CGI crew and a different like production team on it. You, you turtles get, you, look like trolls, right? Trolls with shells. Maybe, well, but, maybe don't make maybe don't make the only Michelangelo joke that he's horny. Yeah, that's that feels very Bay. But like Alan Richson as Raphael was fucking perfect. And Johnny Knoxville did shockingly good as Leonardo. But yeah. Uh, and then finally, as we move into other people on the show, because there are other people here. We've been here for two hours. Wait, there are other. Yeah, oh, I'm, yeah, like, I'm, I'm here, here, aren't I? Sorry, I ordered a pizza. I wasn't sure how long I was going to be. <laughs> I've been. I took a shower, man. <laughs> uh, my adventures with Superman. Oh, Holy shit, this show is good. This. Yeah. So, <laughs> this uh, is the best Superman thing in over a decade. The, so, Caveman, let me ask you a question. Actually, yeah, I'd say 15, 16 years because even Superman Returns wasn't this good. So, Caveman, let me ask you a question. Does this show feel like it's about a Superman who is a good person trying to help people who is mostly Clark Kent? Ah, you're referring to X, aren't you? <laughs> 
Yes, yeah. stupidest decision of, of that company's existence. Yeah, so for those who aren't on Twitter, better for you. Um, Birdie has made it his life's mission to, to respond get into to a every fight with yeah. every DC fanboy. Yeah, every Snyderverse DC EU fanboy. It has been Birdie's mission to find them and quote tweet them. It's, it's a sad uh, job, but someone has to do it, I guess. But like, and like, one of the things that he's been dealing with is people. Like, what if what if what is that exactly that people have been saying? People don't like that Clark Kent is a dork and a hero. Yep. Yeah, they. Well, I mean, the one that the this kind of makes me sad. The quote they've been pulling out most recently is a quote from Kevin Conroy. Uh basically saying that Superman needed to be dirtied up to be interesting. That's their justification for why Snyderverse is better. Oh, sweetie. So they're pulling out an incorrect uh, an incorrect quote in order to justify their shitty universe. Yeah, but every, no one thinks Kevin Conroy is wrong because he played the best Batman, so they think he can't possibly be wrong about this. He is. He also didn't play the best Batman. Like, rest in peace, Kevin Conroy. You did great work. You're wrong. Who's the best Batman? Wait, is he uh, animated series Batman? Yes. Okay. He's still wrong, but he did play the best Batman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the that, that, I was like, yeah, that's the thing you forgot, Birdie. Was he in? Yeah, that's the thing you forgot, Birdie. Cave doesn't know names. Oh, uh, yes. I was like, he's saying him by name, so he must be a movie guy. Which movie was he in? I don't remember. You know, like, like you, yeah, you know the voice. It's not like not like we're saying like, hey, what are your thoughts on Bruce Greenwood? <laughs> he was the voice of Batman and Young Justice. Okay. Yeah, and under the red hood. Yeah, uh, or, and then uh, Jason Isaacs was also a Batman and like some of the animated stuff. Okay. Not Jason Isaacs. Jason O'Mara. Jason O'Mara. That's it. I knew it was a Jason something. Jason Isaacs is too evil to play Batman. <laughs> <laughs> he plays the Batman who laughs, I guess. I don't know. One, one of the weird metal Batman. Uh, another big question for you, Cave. If the answer is yes or no. Uh, is Lois important in this show? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and she's the best Lois we've had. God damn it, TV and movies. Hey, I, I know you guys don't watch it. Superman and Lois had a good Lois and Clark. No, they do. I like these two better, though. Fair. But saying they are the best in a decade is very no, much I, undervaluing I, I them did, who've come out in the last decade. I didn't specify them. I just specified well, that. Is it a good Lois? And is it a good I, did, Lois I haven't important? seen those, so I don't know how quality they are. I'll take your opinion on that, Dad. Yeah. They're person. the best Superman and Lois I've seen. And this is actually something I've seen and had to block someone over. It's perfectly fine for Jimmy Olsen to be black. Yeah. Better than him being dead. <laughs> Better yeah. black than dead. That's an interesting uh <laughs> put that on the put up that on the pull quote for Jimmy Olsen from my adventures with Superman. Better black than dead. <laughs> That is so not what I meant, and you know it. <laughs> but no, like, 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 yeah, this is, this is the best Jimmy Olsen in a decade. Over a decade. Yeah, this is the best Jimmy Olsen in over a decade, because, like, the last one we got. This is, this is the best Jimmy Olsen in over two decades. This might be the best Jimmy Olsen, period. 
I don't remember the original Jimmy Olsen, so I can't say. I don't remember if there was an original Jimmy Olsen. I like the one from the animated Superman, the animated series, but he was just kind of a background character. This one feels more like he has his own personality. Yeah, which is shocking. Yeah, it's it's weird. It's kind of the joke we made in the Pine Box game around in Cave's character's siblings. Mm hmm. He's yeah he so Jimmy Olsen in this He's the twins <laughs> yeah Jimmy Olsen in this uh, runs the Flame Bird, which is a uh, huge you know, cute, Twitter page. Uh, cute little in joke for his name for his for his Twitter okay for yeah. his ex I'm sorry yeah, yeah the majority of shit around Jimmy Olsen is just referencing his old Silver Age shit where every week he had different superpower. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's like him running like this uh, like YouTube channel where he's like a like a deep th- or he's like a in shadow. I thought it was a Twitter. I thought it was a Twitter thing. It's a Twitter and YouTube channel. Okay. I thought yeah. he was just posting to X videos. <laughs> <laughs> I regret telling you about that. You aren't actually the only source I have for that. My <laughs> wife has also been keeping me up to date on it. Nice. But no, so... Yeah, Jimmy is... Like this, this fucking like golden retriever who only goes after fucking tabloids. And yeah. he and like Which, he and Lois click so hard. They have meshed so hard. It's perfect. Yeah, just, they're just like, the why back, aren't we gay best friends? Yeah, just the back and forth of. Uh, I'm sorry, Lois. Uh, you are also an intern like me. We're equals. And Lois is like, hmm, you're right. Oh, raise your hand if you've been at the planet longer than Jimmy Olsen. Oh, look. Hey, I'm in charge. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, and they feel like partners too. Like like when they're when they're like when they're out there doing stuff. Jimmy isn't just the fi- picture guy. He's like the picture guy, but also is helping with investigative stuff. One of my favorite moments is in the show is uh, in the third episode when uh, like like Lois reveals her plan for her and Jimmy to go get captured so they can meet Superman. And she's like, it worked last time. And Clark's just like, you did that on purpose. Yeah. And it's, it's also great. The idea that Lois, that this is just like Lois's modus operandi. She just goes into situations like, all right, I need to talk to a guy. Let's get kidnapped. Like it plays into like the joke of Lois from older stuff while still having it be like fresh for the character and having her like be in charge of it. Yeah. And it also makes you really uh, feel for this universe's Perry White, who's just like, oh, God damn it, Lois. He's so good. He's so good. He, he's barely done anything and he's great. He's just like, I'm trying to run a fucking newspaper. Get out of my office. Because they keep having like these big character moments and like these like joking bits in his office while he's there just like go back to work please yeah, and, and he does the thing that so few bosses that are mad at an employee for not following orders uh should do but don't which is the moment he tries to contact lois and she ignores him he immediately calls clark and tells her hey lois is ignoring me so i'm gonna tell you yeah you're, you're fired if you don't come back to the office yeah it's great and it's the thing i love about like the thing i might love the most about this series is that it is a Clark first series. Yeah, in all respects. And yeah. it fixes a thing that one of the few things I am, I kind of have a problem with, with the Superman animated series, the original Superman animated series from the 90s. And I kind of want this to be the norm going forward. She's more attracted to Clark than Superman. That's that's how it should be, man. But, uh, but like, so Superman many versions, not, super, not Superman just... Superman is a costume. Yeah, but <laughs> the, even not just... Um, not just Man of Steel and all that. A lot of versions of Lois Lane are like, I'm sorry, uh, six foot three, 
brick football player with uh, with glasses on. You're too much of a goober. I can't possibly find you attractive. That's silly to me. Oh, so that's I, always been such a huge part of Lois's character until recently. Well, so actually, uh, to go to bat once again for Superman, Lois. There is a flashback bit to when they were like first started getting together, uh, where Lois is going to interview Superman. And Superman's like in the studio and can hear her. And so like her producer starts coming up, talk to her. And it's like, oh my God, you're talking to Superman. It's so fucking hot. And, and she's like, how are you not into him? It's like, what? I fucking, I like Clark, the guy from work, man. Just, yeah. I, so I said, like I said, until recently, <laughs> like, which is, which I, I'm not, I'm not so familiar with like older, um, Superman media, I guess, because that's always been their relationship to me. Like, that's why it's always worked because she loved Clark first. Well, I mean, because they do things like, so in Superman, the animated series, um, she is first introduced to Clark by sexually harassing him. Tight. But, uh. Oh, is that nice but, ass? Uh, no, before that. So Perry's like, I, I want you to meet the new, uh, reporter at the city desk. He's like, is he, is he, she basically says, is he fuckable? And Tight. Clark's standing right behind her. And she's like, and he's like, uh, you tell me. Ah, <laughs> 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 uh, smooth move, Smallville. But, like, even throughout that point, aside from the fact that at multiple points she reveals to Superman how much she respects and appreciates Clark in her life, she can't find him sexually attractive once Superman shows up. <sighs> and then there's... The, I, as much as I love the Christopher Reeve movies, the thing I don't like about the Christopher Reeve movies is the incredibly bumbling, can't-function, bodily-function version of Clark Kent that is in those movies it's basically, because the it's basically the night so, professor almost yeah but to anyway, the point yeah. where there's a scene in superman 2 where clark takes off his glasses and you see him both straighten out his shoulders and stand six inches almost four or five inches taller yeah i've seen that scene yeah so in a lot of instances lois is like i'm sorry clark you're too much of a goober i can't find you attractive i'm glad that's changing yeah so in this one, um, like Clark knows he's an alien. He knows about that, but he doesn't know anything else. When when his parents like first took him to like his spaceship as a kid, he got too scared to learn it's anything. Scared to shit out of him. Yeah, yeah. Can, can, I, can I just say I hate Odin Jorel? Okay, yeah, that's what just the because I was bring up. it's just fucking Odin. So some of the aesthetic stuff doesn't work, but and. Like, I like that he can't, un like, there's no way for them to communicate, because there shouldn't be. Yeah, he's, it's completely alien language and dialect and culture. But, yeah. why does he look like fucking Odin? Jor-El yeah. is a scientist. Yeah, even in Superman, Man of Tomorrow, uh, the recent really good Superman animated movie, Cl uh, Clark had to um, ha be shown how to access the Kryptonian Codex and its language by... Martian Manhunter before he could speak or, or understand any of it. Yeah, and that seems to be what they're going for here. Like, like Clark, like, like uh, Jor-El only speaks Kryptonian. No translation, have, no nothing. I have another issue. Okay. Well, um, why does his chest glow with the Superman symbol in the first episode? Because anime. Like, there, there, there's literally no source for it. No well, reason because... for it. Because the costume just appears on him, and I made this joke when we were well, first watching it. Except it doesn't. It doesn't. He has to go to his like spaceship, where his dad makes it appear on him. 
Yeah, so the implication there could have been that if he wanted to, he could have invoked the costume right there. He just didn't yet. That's stupid. It is. Yeah. A lot of the more anime-adjacent stuff is kind of my only big problems with this. Like Same, actually. Because... I, on the one hand, I like the the reason for Livewire's powers better in this than in Superman the Animated Series, but the aesthetic's not as good. And the same is true for Intergang. And My biggest complaint... Banshee being just a person with, a, with basically a subwoofer on their face is kind of lame. <laughs> My biggest con complaint, actually, is that it seems like they're going for uh, all the bad stuff is from Aliens... Uh, yeah, all of its alien so tech, so that's a little like, and that well. worries me because, like, a lot of Superman's greatest nemeses are humans. Uh, wait, I might. Are they doing that? I don't remember that from the show. So all, all of the uh, tech has like, an, uh, has the same kind of aesthetic that we see with Superman's. Yeah, ship, so intergang in episode three, they got their tech from a bunch of boxes Leslie Willis left around uh, Metropolis after she stole it from Task Force X. No, I knew that. I I just didn't, I just like I just like I didn't I didn't like they, put that was alien stuff because I assumed that was hey here's tech we got and then we made it into this. No, they, they haven't from overtly the, stated that it was alien tech. No, but every time Clark destroys or interacts with any one of these weapons, he has a flashback to I assume Krypton. So I'm assuming it's somehow related yeah. to that. Right it's now, it, it feels like it's all yeah. alien tech. We yeah. might be wrong, and I hope yeah. I am. Could wrong. Be. We're only halfway through the season. Um, or not quite. It's ten episodes, so it's not quite halfway. But yeah. uh, uh, but another thing I really like making Task Force X uh, just a side a, a background side group. Yeah. And uh, Cora said this after the first episode. Oh hey, I like that Amanda Waller looks like Amanda Waller. Yeah, it's weird that they made Deathstroke fuckable. It's well, not. more more fuckable. He was yeah. already fuckable. He's just younger. But, but that, that was like a Silver Fox thing. They made him like a fucking K-pop star. Yeah, well, but yeah, that's the thing. This is like down. this is like twenty years before the part of the story we're actually used to. No, not twenty ten, but uh, I'd say because Lex Luthor is in this show, he just hasn't been announced as Lex Luthor yet. Yeah. Also, also like I don't know. It's it's been like a couple of like, it's been like a couple years, but I remember there was a like Superman like origin comic uh, that had Deathstroke in it, and he was still an old man in that. Uh, are you talking about Birthright or or um, what's the one that Mark Wade did? I'm talking about the about one. This? I'm talking about about the one written by Shithead Max Landis. Oh, that one. Um, I don't remember what that one was called. Yeah, I have it, and I forgot the name of it. But it's it's a different continuity. I can forgive it. It's not, it's not even a forgive thing. It's not even the thing that needs to be forgiven. I'm just like, huh? That's bizarre. Also, weird that they gave him Chris Parnell, and Chris Parnell's doing great at it. <laughs> Not weird that Chris Parnell's <laughs> doing great at it, but weird that Chris Parnell is this version. <laughs> weird that Parnell is this version of Deathstroke. Because Chris Parnell, yeah. fantastic voice actor. Yeah, and actually, again, speaking of Jack Quaid, I haven't heard him do voice work before, so... Yeah, th yeah Jack, Jack Quaid. Uh, again, so for those who don't know, Jack Quaid, Huey on The Boys... Yeah, one of the few characters I mostly still put up with on the boys, although they keep fucking with him on the in the writing. I really need that show to end. Yeah, but he, yeah, you so could just stop watching it. He can't. I might actually. Like, 
stopping the watching of it is a reasonable answer. But yeah, so I think this might be his first. This might might be his first. No, no, this isn't his first white acting role. He also was on Lower Decks. Oh right, I I don't mind him on Lower Decks. I just don't like Lower Decks that much. Yeah, but like he is a very good voice actor. And his voice is so perfect for Goober Clark. Yeah, that... and, and like like when he like drops it to be Superman a little bit. And you see you see him like like trying to like work out what the proper way to do it is because he starts out as like like I'm super I'm Superman. I'm I'm Superman. Just like trying to figure out a way to make him sound different without it making sound obviously that he's putting on a voice. Yeah, even Lois points that out, which is like I find quite amusing. A little bit more and, confidence confidence, Clark. It's great. Yeah. And I liked hearing from Kari Walgren again. I hadn't heard from her in a bit, but she's been in a lot of DC stuff. She usually plays Zatanna, but um, she's playing Ma Kent in this. And uh, I've, we've known her for decades, Cave, because she was also an anime shit when we were teenagers. Yeah, she's been in fucking tons of shit. No, it's, yeah, it's, it's really good. It's a really... Like, having a Superman that is built ground up to be a good guy. It's fucking perfect. Superman rescues cats. Yeah, which he does. First episode on the way to work. Superman is basically a superpowered firefighter. Kind of, <laughs> yeah. Like, they refer to him as a Boy Scout. Yeah, and also, it's actually kind of a great thing. That's what makes Lois into him in the first place. Like, this is actually the thing I hate most about Superman in the Snyderverse. Superman in Superman is a hero. Superman in the Snyderverse is a victim of consequence. Yeah. Superman goes out to help people because he wants to. He wants to help people. And Snyderverse Superman is like, man, everyone's forcing me to help them. I guess I'll be Jesus. Let's go. Let's have a Day of the Dead parade. Fucking just worship me as I look off forlongly into the sky. Meanwhile, this Clark would go to Day of the Dead and then save a kid, like save people, and end up just being a part of the parade. It's like, I don't know how this happened, but I'm having fun. (laughs) Oh, someone gave me a giant skull mask. Let's go, baby. (laughs) Yeah. Whereas, uh, again, just great writing stuff. Uh, Have you seen all four episodes that are currently out dead? Yes. I've only seen the first three. I thought I'd seen all of them, but... Yeah, so do you care that I accidentally spoiled something for you, Cave, or should I just Not keep talking? Not at all. Uh, what was the last okay. episode you saw, Cave? Three. Like, what was it about? Uh, it was the interview. The interview post the fight with Intergang, so that is episode yeah. three. Okay. Fight so, but I accidentally... What are, what are you the got different on, on multiple services or something? No, it's, no, it's just like the first two episodes aired in one block, so I'm wondering if you so wondering if you saw like the first two episodes as the first episode, episode three is episode two. No, we no. split those up into two. So okay. Yeah, and I accidentally spoiled the big thing for Cave from four that Lois already knows Clark is Superman. Yeah, which she should. Yeah, she figured should. it out herself. She's one, of the, she's one of the smartest people in his life until he meets Batman. Yeah, she figured it out by herself, and it was also because of Clark's own fuck-up. Which is totally believable, because this Clark is still making kind of dumb mistakes a lot of the time. <laughs> yeah, it's it's great. It's great that they aren't doing the... They aren't doing, like, the, oh, I gotta hide my identity from Lois and everything. No, just, like, fucking four episodes in, boom, she knows. Fuck you. <laughs> Let's get rid of the least interesting part of a superhero story and just get it out of the way now. 
to everyone who is in the camp of superheroes have to keep their identity secret. The best versions of superheroes quite often give up on keeping their identity a secret from people they care about. Yeah, because Miles Morales, Spider Man, Jaime Reyes, Blue Beetle. Jaime, <laughs> Jaime Reyes, Blue Beetle didn't even attempt to have a secret identity. He just rolled up to his family and was like, "Hey, what up? I'm Blue Beetle." It's like, "Hey, I'm Blue Beetle now." And just instantly. Oh, so good. The second he got home after getting his powers, "Hey, what's up? Check this out." Blah. Because, and I'm gonna say it. There was a time when the stories were more interesting if he didn't reveal his identity. Because there was a time where that was still new and fresh. It's now it's old not and busted anymore. No one cares anymore. Yeah, and so oh, other thing, other th- there's so much I love about the show. Fucking Ma, like when he gets his first suit. Oh, Ma Kent is a hero amongst heroes. Yeah, when, when he gets his new fifty two suit. Yeah, it's the new fifty two suit where it's just like pure blue all the way down, looks kind of like armor. And then Ma Kent's like, hmm, something's missing. Goes go, goes back home. Belt. Yeah, goes back home and but sews together and sews together the trunks to put on the outside. And then Paw Kent comes in. And it's like, "Hey, Clark, you a oh, nice look." <laughs> anyway, uh, one of your friends is calling from Metropolis or whatever. <laughs> also, Paw Kent's still alive, so look forward to him dying soon. Yeah, that's gonna happen. I mean, we can't we can't stop it. That's gotta happen. Yeah. You think season one ends in the heart attack? Oh yeah, that would be dark. <laughs> well, that no. That, you no, think, do, do you think it. if you think if he do, do you think do you think if they do kill Pa Kent, they'll have a Ninja Turtles Dark at the Farm arc? I don't know. It could be possibly. Just, I mean, just, the opening the opening sequence seems to show Clark, Lois, and Jimmy in Smallville dealing with Krypton shit. So yeah, which also means that Jimmy's going to be t- going to be told relatively soon. Yeah. Which I'm fine. With. I hope Jimmy starts getting random superpowers. Like, if even if it's only like an episode, just goes full action man. Goes full yeah. action man, and just, also like, just for nonsense. And also just to piss off um, racists. <laughs> Tara shows up and she's still attracted to Jimmy, even though he's black. <laughs> oh, that would be perfect. Yeah, just just fuck everyone. <laughs> no, just fuck racists. Fair. Oh God, yeah, this show is. Ooh, this could be the first show where Carr is actually older than Clark. That'd be interesting. That would be interesting. I I feel like probably not older, probably same age. Yeah, that would still be interesting. <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't yeah. yeah, it wouldn't be like teenage girl fucking having to deal with having to deal with like, oh my baby cousin's now a grown man. Yeah, I mean the current animated teenage Kara is fucking Brainiac Five. Which is weird, but uh, eh, it's oh. been done before. <laughs> Still kind of weird. No, like it, it's been done before. So, <laughs> like that Simpsons episode, kid, it's been done. <laughs> Simpsons did it anyway. Oh God, but no, yeah, I, I really love this. Um, I, yeah, talking about like stuff I don't like. So, Studio Mirror is handling uh, animation duties on this thing. Yeah, it looks very Cora. It looks very core. Looks very uh, Voltron, Legendary Defender. Yeah, Shira. Not so much. I don't. Did, she, did, did they do Shira? I thought that was another studio. Uh, they were involved with it. They, they, the aesthetic it's was a similar because, style. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, a similar it's, it's, it's similar aesthetic. So it's all very like anime inspired, and that's kind of where some of my issue comes up with it. We mentioned it before, but like the tone of it, because Studio Mir is they're a South Korean studio that do 
Western style anime. Where it's where it's like, you know, it's it has like the anime like trappings, anime vibe, but it is all done through an American pacing and like comedy sensibilities. And I think I'm just kind of burnt out on that. Because it is all the all the moments in this of animation that I didn't like were them doing the anime stuff. Like when Inner Gang fucking like first broke into the bank vault, and then it's like it has like the like the quick like you know like the like a uh, looping pan up thing where like it keeps like slowing down every time it pans up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they do that for Inner Gang, and I'm like, ugh. Just I I audibly groaned. Just because it's so played out and done, and like I. And like, as people who watch anime, we, this isn't new. And like, this isn't a fucking, to people who don't watch anime, that was probably like a fresh take on animation. Like, oh, I haven't seen this before. This is a neat, this is a neat, like, new style. And people watch anime. It's like, cool. It's been that for decades, my guy. And yeah, it's yeah. Just, just annoying. And also there was a bit in the second episode that I noticed that was, that I feel like was an animation error where like uh, Lois grabs Jimmy by the collar. And then cuts to the next frame. Her hands are still up in the holding Jimmy by the collar pose, but Jimmy's on the other side of the frame and Lois is holding nothing. Yeah. Probably. No, that's actually Jimmy developing his first superpower. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like it's this does kind of feel like like a Smallville, like an ultimate Superman kind of thing where it's, hey, we're gonna take what we we're gonna take what you know and then remix it. Because we got like Livewire in this, she doesn't have powers until like the end of the episode. Uh, we got Inner Gang with their like new take on stuff, and seemingly having the first episode be the inciting incident for all of the villains. Yeah, I kind of wish Inner Gang was just a bunch of nobodies with tech, because again, playing into what you said about making everything alien tech based, having Silver Banshee just be someone with a subwoofer on their face is kind of sad to me. Because again. The magic shit's one of the few things Clark does not know how to deal with because it's not the science fiction shit he's used to dealing with. Yeah, but, but like, it seems to be that, like, it starts out alien tech shit, and then it just becomes them. Because, like, uh, with, um, with, uh, Livewire, she had, like, the marks on this and stuff after the, sh- after the shit got taken off of her, so it's entirely possible that she just absorbed the power of being able to do that naturally. Yeah, and that one I'm more okay with because it makes more sense than how she got her powers originally where she just got hit by lightning after Superman got hit by lightning. Yeah, and then in episode four, there's also a thing I'm not going to spoil for Cave that could potentially lead to future stuff, but it also makes... It's weird. It's a weird like cross-pollination of villains in episode four that I'm not 100% sure I'm down for, but I guess... But they are finding a nice balance between, like, underrepresented characters while still making them threatening while also putting in enough of the big stuff that people want to see. Unlike another DC show we have to talk about. Yeah. And Birdie and I vehemently disagree on. Yeah, but I I enjoy that. I enjoy seeing this, like, I enjoy seeing this Clark find his footing as a journalist. Like, like, and that's something that a lot of the more recent stuff has kind of just ignored. Clark Kent is a competent journalist. Like, he didn't get become a reporter on a whim. He did it because he was good at it and enjoyed it. Yeah. Not as good as Lois, obviously, but still very good. 
Yeah. yeah that's because she finds the best. Yeah. And she finds his uh, commitment and uh, drive to be a good journalist to help people hot. Yeah. That's the other thing. This is the thirstiest Lois I think I've ever seen. Oh, she is so thirsty. <laughs> yeah, but she also is like modern day thirsty. Yeah. She is a modern day 20 something. Yeah. Like, do they ever say their ages? Because they look like they were supposed to be teenagers. They're 20 somethings. Okay. Yeah. Like, like, uh, like Lois, like freaking out about texting Clark the first time, like, like yelling at Jimmy when he texts a random selfie of her, to, like random selfie of him and her to Clark. It's like, like, I get full veto control over, over self photos of me from now on. You're to Clark. <laughs> she does like the fucking like K-pop heart finger thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and again, credit to, uh, I guess we haven't mentioned her, the credit to the voice actress who plays Lois, Alice Lee. She had, she ha- might be my favorite, like, believable stutterer voice actress I've ever seen. Yeah, she's she just great. Puts these, these little, like, verbal tics in to show when she's not handling something well or stuttering through a response or something that don't feel forced. Yeah. Oh, I also actually do want to, uh, like, we, we've talked about, we talked about him a bit, but, um, Ishmael Sahid does the voice of Jimmy Olsen. He's great. He's great. He is great. Like all of the voice actors in this have been like okay, so long as they weren't like a side character who's probably never going to be mentioned again. Yeah. Yeah. I also do. I also do kind of like. Uh, I, I don't like the like. I'm not 100 percent sold the presentation of it, like the Team Rocket presentation of it, but I do like the. Uh, the like. Uh, I like over the top Cat Grant. I don't. Mu- I don't know much about the other two in comics, so I can't tell. But they do fit. <laughs> I hate them. Okay. <laughs> like they are, they are the worst part of the episode and the cause of the second worst part of the episode. <laughs> okay. I can't stand the, ha we're going to play these over to the top caricatures that don't exist in any world. And then we have to copy their behavior because even though these people don't know anything about these individuals, we still have to make them believe we're them. Eh. It was a dumb bit. It made me stop watching the episode for a little while. Wow. Because it's so irritating because it happens in so many things. Yeah, that's fair. But like, but anyway, uh, if we want someone other than dead to talk today, we better get a move on. Yeah, I'm done. Well, speaking about an interesting take on an underappreciated villain, but where the Batman? <laughs> okay, so I, I guess you have to put quotey fingers around most of that sentence Cave said. Only uh, for uh, you. <laughs> I will let you. I I will be right back. I will let them fight. I think that I like. Okay, so Beware the Batman was uh, 2013 attempt yeah, but, at doing a new Batman animated show. Yeah, and well, specifically, uh, and this is part of the reason I hate it, Cave, uh, they canceled Brave and the Bold because people said it was too silly and aimed at kids. So, so you're wanted... mad at this show because other people are dumbasses. Well, it adds to it because I also really don't like this show. And I, we've had our debate, and I agree that your points are valid and fair. But I will defend the show because I at least find it entertaining. Like I don't yeah. think it's a great show. I honestly think it's the worst animated Batman anything. Well, yeah, it's the 
It's the plain saltines dipped in skim milk of Batman shows. Like, but one of the one of the bones of contention we have is I actually like it because it brings to light characters that nobody knows that have relatively little identity because they were in like three Batman comics grand total and have never been in any of the other Batman media. And in many cases, it's because they suck. <laughs> I'm not going to deny that. <laughs> because like, like most of these characters are very like white. Humpty Dumpty Cave? Are you about to go to bat for Humpty Dumpty? I'm not going to bat for any of these characters. <laughs> Because <laughs> the only one who's mildly interesting to me is Tobias Whale. I do not think that I haven't heard that name in a while. Yeah, and he's a he's an interesting character because yeah. he's kind I, of he's kind of the super powered version of all the mob bosses that we have. Yeah, but like aside from him, the most notable villain in the first half of the show, which is the worst half, dead, is Lady Shiva who is only in this because they didn't want to do Talia. Because she's the second in command of the League of Assassins, and they don't want Talia in this show. Yeah. Was that like a stated... Completely, completely correct. Was it like a stated thing, or just she never showed up? No, she Tal- never yeah, up. Talia's never even mentioned. Yeah. R- Roz is in this, but Talia is not. Ooh, voiced by Lance and, Reddick. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, like, uh, one of, one of the uh, other bones of contention is uh, Alfred. <laughs> Well, what did they do to yeah, Alfred? Yeah, I'm sorry. Like they like, made him badass. Well, he fired they not only made him badass. Walker. It's like this this Alfred dead in live action would have been played by Jason Statham. Oh, which they isn't leaned a bad thing. They leaned more into like the secret agent shit. Yes, yeah, they leaned very much so. They leaned heavily into the secret it, agent. His five background is significantly important to the lame plot at the midway point. He's of the show. he's not even a butler in this. He is a bodyguard. <laughs> I don't yeah. like that. I think it's fun. Like, like, yeah. like, I think have, it's like, fun. Having Alfred be badass is one thing. Like he fucking rolls around the back gate with a shotgun. He's fucking like Queensbury rules bare knuckle boxing people. That's fine. Having it be, having it be, I was basically Batman before Batman. That's where I'm like, you're losing me. I also like this because, and this is, Kind of similar to one of the things I like about the uh, My Adventures of, Su- of Superman. It's a young Batman. It's a Batman who's still, deal- who's still dealing with mob bosses and shit. Like, it is a Batman who's still new at this. So, like, we actually get to see him grow as a Batman to a certain extent. Not anywhere near the degree that he should grow. Because yeah. he is a little too skilled for a young yeah, Batman. Yeah, he's too still, and the the traits they do to make him cool are annoying. Like he never eats solid food anymore. He just eats milkshakes full of tree bark. He <laughs> eats solid food when he's on a date, but yeah, no, that's also stupid as hell. Yeah, and his Batman costume is so monochromatic that the the bat is not even a symbol. It's just a raised. It's etching so on a the, on a solid black suit. It's which not the it worst hard. Batman costume, but it's a bad Batman costume. Man, if Alfred, if Alfred was actually that, if Alfred was actually Alfred in the show, he'd force Bruce Wayne to eat food. Yeah, that happens a lot. Yeah, yeah. Well, Alfred, apparently the show also doesn't like Alfred much dead because they wrote Alfred off the show halfway through it. Boo! Oh, I didn't know that. Fuck you. Yeah. 
after after the after the raw after a fight with Ra's al Ghul at the midway point of the show, they contrive a reason for Alfred to leave and say, "I've got my own shit to deal with, Bruce. You just be by yourself." Okay, so I'm actually looking get, at I haven't gotten that far. So I'm actually looking so. at um some of the stuff. I uh, like some like back stuff. Apparently, a series developer is originally intended to give Alfred a greater role in the story, but Murakami, uh, that's Glenn Murakami, one of the producers, advised that they scale uh, back his activities over concerns that he could outshine Batman. Well, yeah, because part of the problem is they never do anything interesting with this Batman, so they put all of the writing into the backstory of MI6 agent Alfred. Which- and to the point where he actually has, like, uh, so... Batman's only partner in the field, technically, in this is Katana instead of any of the Bat family, although Barbara is in it. Yes, as but, a supporting um, character for Lieutenant Gordon. Yeah, which Bizarre. the only other th- inter- the only other interesting thing for me about the voice acting stuff is that the most straight nosed uh, follow the rules cop is played by Clarence Bodiger. <laughs> <laughs> oh Lord. <laughs> fucking Kurtwood Smith, keep keep getting work, dude. Yeah, and he's fine as and he's fine as Gordon. It's just weird. Is there a Bullock in this? No, no. no there's no other interesting cops besides Gordon. Boo. <laughs> yeah, all the other cops are cookie cutters. Um, but yeah, I yeah. enjoy the show, but I've never gotten as far as Birdie is referencing. So. That yeah, might well, I didn't turn get my much opinion on than it. you. It, it, it all, it, it's one of those, this is such an alien like, concept now, Dead. It was canceled after one season due to low ratings. And I will admit, <laughs> wow. the reason that I stop watching this show every time is because I get bored. But it's not because it's a bad show, in my opinion, so far. I it's mean, because me it's, it's the same because... Batman every time. <laughs> Its action it's, scenes are boring, made worse by the fact that you have a monochromatic black suit Batman in settings that are always dark blue, dark gray, or black, so I can hardly ever see anything. See, it, I think the action scenes are actually pretty solidly animated, and, like, that the CG, and, though parts sometimes it looks like MTV Spider-Man to me, <laughs> actually, actually benefits it because the movements are a lot more fluid. But, mm. like... The only other but, thing that I really want to talk about on my own, because... Well, well, well before we finish this up, because I want to mention two things you didn't mention. I didn't mention the full list of villains that you're supposed to care about for this show, because they didn't want to use any of the big ones, aside from Ross, until the back half did. Magpie, Professor Pig, okay, Humpty Dumpty, Tobias Whale, and a villain I've never heard of, Cypher? Yeah, Cypher's a really dull villain, though. Okay, yeah. Of the villains oh, mentioned, and Anarchy, who is trying to be both the Riddler and the Joker at the same time. Which Hell is yeah. actually kind of Anarchy's bag. Yeah, it, a- Anarchy is... Anarchy's very bleh. He doesn't really have a personality. Yeah, Anarchy is lame. <laughs> like, I'm not going to deny this. Which is why, if I remember correctly, the end of the show, it's weird that it all revolves around him and Two-Face. Okay, of the villains you mentioned, I've known five of their names. Yeah, but do you think most people would know them? <laughs> More people than you think might know Tobias Whale, because he was also the main bad guy in Black Lightning. 
Yeah, okay, that's fair, but like Magpie. Yeah, no, I no mean, one's no one's gonna know Magpie or Humpty Dumpty. And most people won't know Professor Pig. Or yeah, no, most people won't know Professor Pig. Lives. Yeah, maybe if they like paid attention while playing one of the Arkham games. Because I'm pretty sure like in either two or three either in the either in like Arkham City or Arkham Knight, there's a Professor Pig like side quest. I can't remember. But yeah, people aren't going to know Professor Pig. No. Nor are they going to know Phosphorus Rex, Tobias Whale's lawyer. Yeah, which I thought... Oh, yeah! It, he I actually is him. kind of important in the episode. I forgot that, because he was supposed... I thought they were just going to do Dr. Phosphorus, who was slightly more known than him, but nope, it's... Okay. Whatever. Phosphorus Rex, baby, I am a burning skeleton, and I'm here to represent you. Yeah, 2013 was just a really bad year for DC content dead because obviously Man of Steel, this, the only thing that I... You are banging on this drum that this show is dog shit directly in front of Cave. Yeah, well, we've had this discussion already. It is aggressive, this is. Yeah, it is. And that's why we had this conversation a little bit beforehand so I could get some of the venom out. Because I don't like my time being wasted, and on top of my time being wasted, they canceled a show I really love. For you this. chose to watch this for this. You also because keep, you also keep willingly see- coming back and talking with me. <laughs> but I'm Tish, wasting like, time. But ah, I only rewatched this because Birdie said I'm rewatching Beware the Batman for the recording, and yeah, I was and like, I only I've got to rewatch be- some of this so I can try and defend. And this. I only rewatched it because Cave said that all all Batman shows are worth watching. I mentioned this one, and he said it is still worth watching. So I had to check if he was correct, and for me at least, I disagree. He also watched way more of it for this recording than I did. Authoritative. I'm trying to be authoritative. Because I'm often accused of being angry with nothing to back it up. Well, alrighty then. So the only other thing that I want to talk about on my side of things uh, is Shin Kamen Rider. The movie that makes the Shin verse verse worth it for me. Yeah, because we were batting 50-50 before we got to Shin Kamen Rider. We're going to talk about Shin Ultraman. (laughs) Um, so for those who don't know, what is Shin? Uh, Bertie, you're more of an expert on this than I am. All right. Shin is a, well, it started with Shin Godzilla in 2016, which, but well, because, which is a really good movie, but uh, basically Toho and other entertainment brands in Japan looked at the success of Shin Godzilla and asked Hideaki Anno, who is for most people famously the creator of Evangelion, if you wanted to do anything I've else, forced to watch. That's <laughs> and true. he said, I want to do Shin Ultraman and Shin Kamen Rider so that I can eventually create the Shin hero verse where I combine them all together in a Shin Megazord of horrors. <laughs> I hope that doesn't become a thing. It's already a thing, dude. I don't want it to be a thing. Well, too damn bad, bud. Yeah. Makes me cry. But uh, just a little background between me and Cave. I'm the bigger Ultraman fan. He's the bigger Common Rider fan. So he's going to talk about Common Rider. I'll talk about Ultraman. And I'm so, here too. <laughs> Shin Common Rider is the darkest universe. 
like it's based i say based it's loosely based off of the original common writer series like the very first one which uh is, is so old that like i watched it i can't remember most of it because yeah, i watched 1971 it like, for anyone who cares yeah I, over I 50 years a decade ago or more like and i haven't gone back since because there's so much fucking common writer to get through yeah well and also in most cases cave has expressed that he's not as much of a fan of the uh showa era common writers because they're all kind of the same that's i i wouldn't say they're kind of the same i i would say that they all have a similar tone which bores me the tone itself bores me so i'm not really that interested in it um but i felt i had to watch common writer one and uh black and black rx because those are kind of the quintessential common writer in my opinion um i also watched amazons because i thought that the the premise was fucking hilarious uh and racist yeah uh oh hell yeah baby cave love racism you heard it here first <laughs> Well, I mean, yeah, like uh, a Japanese guy gets lost in the Amazon, gets picked up by natives who give him an ancient tiki stone that allows him to turn into jungle common rider, basically. So he's the mask. And they're 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 very racist character caricatures. So the mask. Well, the comic the version, of the, the comic mask, version yeah. of the mask. I never yeah. read the mask, so I don't know. Yeah, but. the the mask was like a mask used by like a native tribe in like the jungles they just put it on decapitate themselves they put their head back on and be like i am god and then take the mask off the mask okay. comics got weird okay um but so it follow it basically starts off with our hero like realizing i have powers and i hate them <laughs> <laughs> because his powers are basically like hey, we're going to turn off the part of your brain that tells you that killing is bad and give you super strength. Go fight those guys. Jesus. Yeah. And, like, the first, like, half of the movie, is a, it's a little slow. Um, but it's following our main character, coming to terms with what he's become, what he's fighting, and befriending and teaming and, like, actually becoming an ally of the hero girl, the writer girl of this show, Whose name escapes me, Birdie? Uh, I say show movie. Uh, Rudico. Rudico. Yeah. Um, who is like cl a clone of the main bad guy ish? No, he's a she's a biolog she's a clone daughter from the main scientist bad guy. Yeah. Uh, who like and, the main, and our main scientist worked for the bad guy originally and is now like they're the bad guys, so it's very much a are we the baddies kind of situation with him. Um, and like he made Common Rider in order to help fight them, and now Common Rider is like turning into a monster whenever he uses his powers and. Uh, I'm not going to spoil the ending because the ending is actually worth watching in this one, unlike Ultraman. <laughs> yeah, um, I I don't I'm not I'm trying I'm trying to apologize for Cave for this a little bit. I I know two ways now to know when Caveman really likes something when he tries to get ahead of me and doesn't just watch something with me because he likes it enough, or he gets mad at me for pointing out that his opinion changed 
because he really did not like the middle of this movie. So yes, when I'm, I, I did not enjoy the middle of this movie, and I was like, I was insulting the characters for being boring. Uh, and then it got better. <laughs> <laughs> Which is all I can say, really, yeah. is it got better. Like, the characters, like, developed, got more interesting, got more likable, and I was enjoying myself, and then, like, I was also drunk, and, like, I started getting teased from both sides, and I was like, I'm gonna step out, because if I get mad, I'm just gonna be mad, and nobody deserves that, because I'm drunk. <laughs> and, like, uh, it seems to be a lot of stories of. I was watching the movie and I was drunk. <laughs> I wasn't drunk, drunk, but I was drinking. So, like, like I'm honestly surprised I haven't gotten more videos of from Birdie of you just yelling at the screen, drunk. Because I haven't had anything that bad for him yet. Usually, because I try to avoid stuff with weapon crafting, because I know that's <laughs> what would get the reaction. <laughs> What's this movie about? A blacksmith? Never mind. <laughs> I can never show that to cavemen. Just let's just put that in the vault and throw that vault into the sea. <laughs> Why are we throwing it into the sea? It's full. It is just full. It's full. Uh, but no. Um, the amount of copies of Man with the Iron Fist I had to throw in there. Like, we even get uh, Hayato, which is like, I love the way they incorporated the real world shit into this movie. <laughs> Because the original reason we got a second Common Rider is because the original actor for Common Rider broke his leg during a, a motorcycle stunt. And they had to bring in a second one to fill in while he recovered. And in this movie, when we meet the second Common Rider and he, like, awakens to being a good guy, our main character breaks his leg. <laughs> That's kind of underplaying it because he's literally kicked I, into the ground I, with such with such force that his legs are in an inverted V. I, I didn't. I don't want to go into too many specifics because I don't want to spoil it. Because I want anyone who is even like, if you're a fan of Ryugi, if you're a fan of the original Masked Rider series, go watch this movie. Uh. If you're a fan which, of Common Rider, you've probably already seen this movie. Which, speaking of, if you have Amazon Prime, this show is free to watch. This movie is free to watch, but you have to look for Shin Masked Rider. Yes. Which I have never called it Masked Rider since that abomination of a Saban show from the 90s. <laughs> yeah, this show was shit. Ah, <laughs> uh, Haim Saban. But, like... Go watch this movie. I'm I, I I'm I'm going to say as little as possible because I don't want to spoil it because it's so good. Um, it acknowledges so much of the history. Most of the characters are well realized. The Bat Monster, notwithstanding. Yeah, <laughs> okay. man, did he look bad? Anything that requires large amounts of CG looks bad. There's a lot of practical stuff and a lot of camera work stuff they do with this, but anything that requires immense CG looks awful. <laughs> they acknowledge the history of the first few villains Kamen Rider always fights, with the spider being the first one, and like, oh. We even get, like, my biggest problem with this movie, actually, is it feels like it wants to be, like, five ep a five-episode miniseries. Yeah. Because but it's better every, about it than the one I'm talking about. Every villain in it feels like there's way more material there for us to use and they just kind of get killed too quickly with one villain even kind of getting killed off screen 
Oh, that fucking sucks. What? Birdie and I were like, wait, they were winning. How did they lose? Yeah, so there's a villain, a scorpion-themed villain, who is apparently bulletproof, who they just then cut outside and said, don't worry, we handled it. How did you <laughs> handle it? We shot her. And then the what? scorpion went like, back to his home planet. And, like, they also, like... So so there are there are assistants to our heroes in this, and um, they're, they're government agents who don't really have... Like, they have identities, but their identity <laughs> is... We're the stoic government agent. Like, that's who they are. I'm Agent Johnson. This is Agent Johnson. No relation. We don't even get names for them for most of the movie. Yeah, we, we get don't names for them until very- the end. Yeah. <clears throat> is it effectively Johnson and Johnson? Uh, not quite. It's close, though. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, uh, go watch this movie. Hell, even if you aren't sure whether, like, Common writer is for you. Like if you're on the fence about, well, do I want to watch this weirdo Japanese show about a bug guy? Watch this movie. It's two and a half hours, I think. And Jesus. it is it is time well spent. And if you enjoy it, you'll enjoy Common Rider. Because it's got all the same tones, it's got all the same beats, it's got all the stuff you need for a common writer story to be good. It has a lot of gore. Yeah, there is a there's a bit of a preponderance of gore. But uh I'm gonna hand it over to Birdie, because we're cause like I, I've talked enough given how much time we have. <laughs> yeah, okay. So I'm gonna go through the stuff I have little to talk about first because I wanna water through to get to the stuff I have a lot to talk about. So first, uh, Blade the Immortal, uh, very fun, gory samurai movie. Uh, watch this with Caveman Dead. He had never seen a Takeshi Miike film before. Oh, so... It was so good. It was <laughs> so good. <laughs> I fucking loved yeah. this movie. And I, I got to be, I got to have the uh, pleasure of explaining Takeshi Miike to Cave, saying the guy who made X-rated films like Ichi the Killer and also the Ace Attorney movie. And his brain did a reboot. Because <laughs> <laughs> I've heard of Ichi the Killer. <laughs> God. Very fun samurai movie. Yeah. About Blade of the Immortal is great. Who had to learn to care about something other than himself again before he would be allowed to die by, as, he's re- as she's referred to, the old bitch. She is an old bitch. Yeah. Who made him immortal. Uh... Okay, uh, just out of the, just off of random lark, Cave and I watched the, the opening episodes of the '90s X-Men and Spider-Man shows just to it's see which one was better. And beca- particularly because I had just told Cave that they were doing a continuation of the '90s X-Men show soon on Disney Plus, and he was like, "What? Why?" And particularly given that these first two episodes, the X-Men sh- episode is significantly worse than the Spider-Man one because. It's so like it's trying to do too many things and failing at most of them. Okay. Yeah. So it's it's supposedly a plot about Jubilee joining the X-Men and the first appearance of the Sentinels hunting down mutants. Oh, yeah, doesn't and also it, explaining who the X-Men are. Yeah, doesn't like it start with like her at the mall and then all of a sudden a robot just jumps in and is like, already right, here to kill you, bitch. Uh, Pretty much, yeah. There's pretty a few much, scenes. Yeah. There's a scene or two before that, but pretty much. Yeah. Uh, we obviously had to but, set up Jubilee as the character. You can't just have some random lady in a raincoat get murdered. 
Well, that's the thing, though. Too much of the plot is about everyone being sad that beloved X-Men character Morph oh, is right. killed off they're, screen. They're, they, they have the whole, oh, Morph! Except we're all sitting there like, who the fuck who is Morph? Is this fucking guy? Nobody knows who Morph is. Everyone pray for Morph. F's in the chat for Morph. Morph is barely a character. Is Morph even like, a real character? Yes. Morph yeah, is a he real was, character. He is, he is one of those X-Men that showed up for one or two chapters and then disappeared. But he gets prominent billing in the first uh episode of the most beloved x-men cartoon although it's not the best sorry x-men 98 fa- 90 fans um <laughs> come at uh, him he still has an, he still has an x account yeah 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 x gonna give it to you uh um god but and this is what i said to dead cave while we were watching it the fact that morph gets prominent billing in this show but dazzler and kitty pride aren't even in it is a little offensive to me <laughs> yeah kinda that is that is like shockingly awful like fucking I'm reading up on Morph right now (laughs) because I'd never heard of him before yeah that's because he was introduced as changeling in the 60s yep died which is why Beast Boy couldn't be changeling yeah died oh I forgot that and And then and then the the X-Men animated series came out renamed him Morph and then that name started being used in comics but not even in the main universe Marvel stuff the nope. fact that he's from the 60s makes a lot of sense because all of the shit people like about X-Men is from the 70s forward. Because <laughs> it didn't... No, I'm serious. Like, no, I know. No, no, he's, Claremont, he's until Claremont took over the X-Men, no one gave a shit about the X-Men. Yeah, no, I know that. It's, <laughs> so just, it's, just, a, it's just... As you said, it, it's just very funny. <laughs> just, just, It makes sense from the 60s because everything people like is from the 70s. <laughs> it's my point. I mean, again, the X-Men people remember Rogue introduced in the 70s. Wolverine introduced in the 70s. Nightcrawler introduced in the 70s. I don't think Gambit was even introduced till the 80s. So I'm just like, how many of the big... Uh, okay, Jean Grey and Professor X and Magneto... Jean Grey wasn't a character in the original comics. No, she, she wasn't. She just existed. And, oh, she Gambit- existed for all of the guys to fall in love with. Gambit was from the 90s. Oh, okay. So even more recent then. So yeah. basically, straight from the um, the Jim Lee run, which is kind of overrated. Sorry, Jim Lee fans. <laughs> Stop apologizing to them. They don't deserve it. <laughs> Jim Lee fans aren't. Jim Lee is a decent artist. Yeah, but yeah, but but the the, the Jim the Jim Lee X Men run, in my opinion, is extremely overrated. And the joke is, he's been apologizing to everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, Especially people who don't deserve it. Yeah. And uh, speaking of, like, inconsistencies, this was bugging the shit out of cavemen we were watching it. Cyclops apparently can either behead a sentinel with one shot or barely make them stumble. It's not clear why. Also, he's the only one who can damage them. Yeah, that's the thing. Storm can barely... Storm can't injure any of the sentinels, only Cyclops, which is stupid to me. Yeah, it's very dumb. And and Kate, you want to know the reason why? One of the reason why uh, the like that happens? It's because the plot demands it to happen. I know it's so infuriating. Yes, yeah. it is. Particularly then, Cyclops, and this is uh, this is my favorite joke that Cave told when we were watching it. Cyclops is what everyone thinks Superman is. <laughs> There's this boring asshole who's like, I'm right. 
Oh, this actually is something that pissed me off. So they lose somebody. They lose Morph and Beast in this episode. Fucking what? And <laughs> no, yeah, well, Beast doesn't die. Captured, He's but... captured. Okay, fuck. <laughs> they all think Morph is dead, and like they all think Beast is dead too. Well, but well, they... hey, Morph is dead. He's just brought back to life by Mister Sinister. <laughs> oh god! Don't even get me started on that. Uh, anyway, so like, in my opinion, if a command decision leads to the loss of a soldier. The commander needs to at least acknowledge that something went wrong. Aww. The whole time, Cyclops is like, I did nothing wrong, nothing went wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and it's well, just like, also, fuck you. Fuck his, you, his, Cyclops. His, well, no, his actions we... also don't match his words. Like when he says, no killing, and then blasts a truck full of people into a lake and lets it <laughs> That was sink. 90s cartoons, though. <laughs> ah, Cyclops, 90s. noted hypocrite. But I mean, with Rogue, they went to the trouble of her raising someone all the way up high in the air, and instead of just dropping them up tight, lowering him to the ground before dropping him. But Cyclops, nope, just, of course. Yeah, but, Cy- yeah, but you gotta remember, Cyclops is a piece of shit. Fair enough. <laughs> like, so there's my- a reason that anybody who actually reads comics and pays attention hates Cyclops. <laughs> Which is funny, because I've met several comics fans who think Cyclops is their favorite X-Man. It's also really weird that the comics have been pushing the Cyclops did nothing wrong. Yeah. I, 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 because I mean, that's the same are, group that was on the, the side of uh, mutant reg- on the side of mutant registration. That's and, a, si- and that's a side effect of... Because the, the way I refer to Cyclops is the Acolyte. Where he, he he's drunk the Kool-Aid. He believes in the oh, cause. Yeah. And, he drunk the Kool-Aid hard. And unfortunately, because Professor X is a horrible person, by transitive property, Cyclops is also a terrible person. Yeah. Which is funny, because if anyone's been fucked over by Professor X, it's Cyclops. Yeah. Speaking of Kool-Aid, you think you think, you're, you think that's a concussive blast that comes out of his eyes? No, that's Kool-Aid. Mmm, <laughs> cherry-flavored yeah. doom. So, so, so by comparison... If you get shot in the mouth by Cyclops, you taste cherries for a brief second before the rest of your head just goes off. Yeah. So by, so for, so by comparison, the Spider-Man episode, Night of the Lizard, we get a version of Spider-Man's backstory told to us, not shown to us, in 30 seconds and not focused on. Tight. Uh, we introduce a major Spider-Man villain, although maybe not one of the ones people are automatically familiar with. Uh, we set up a villain who is more important later. I forgot that Eddie Brock being a piece of shit literally started from the first episode in the 90s show, but it did. And that's set up for later. And this is the one version of J. Jonah Jameson that's not played by J.K. Simmons, who I will still tolerate. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And... Like, the only problem with it is We get a lot of great character moments from from Peter... We get a lot of side characters who are actually important to the show who show up and get some attention. We get an interesting plot line with a what what is ostensibly to the audience a new character being introduced in the villain. Uh it's like as far as first episodes go, it's stellar. And apparently it it's the inferior one. Yeah, for most people, the impression is that the 90s Spider-Man show is not as good as the 90s X-Men show. Which, I... They have different flaws. I think the X-Men show's flaws are worse, personally. 
but that's mainly because, in my opinion, the X Men, the, the X Men show basically catapults from major storyline of the comics to major storyline of the comics with very little subtlety or or finesse. So it's just very clunky watching it to the point where we go from the Savage Lands to oh right, Rogue stole a superhero's powers and life from them in a single episode. Jesus. Like, I, not gonna lie, I have no real experience with either of these shows. It also yeah. goes into a heavy time travel subplot for a, a while. Yay. And then forgets about it. Yay, the X-Men and time travel never leads to problems. Yeah, honestly, Dan, um, the, the, X, the X-Men 90 show would be very fun to make fun of at some point. But Should we uh, do a riff? <laughs> maybe. It would go quick, because the first season's only 12 episodes, and they're all 20 minutes. Oh, and I forgot to mention, uh, Kate, do you remember the shitty CG ending sequence for Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> oh, God. It's yeah. like you're playing a video game and they didn't finish rendering the character models. <laughs> you're on the character select screen. So In it's the unre- 90s. So it's Unreal Engine? <laughs> Boom, roasted. Moving on. Yeah, okay. So let me motor through some of these that I have less to say about. Uh, uh, Skull Island on Netflix sucks. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. it has a great premise, but they keep falling into the same writing yeah. traps of, well, we got to make it for dumb kids and got to kill off all the adults because yeah, reasons. I mean, if you told me, Dead, that the crew, the animation studio that made the Castlevania show, made a Kong Skull Island focused TV series starring Mae Whitman in one of the major roles, that should be up my alley. But instead, it sucks because the writing is bad. It's cheaply made. And like most Netflix shows, the first episode is awful. So you don't know why you would watch more of it unless you just leave it on all the time on autoplay. That's how Netflix do. Yep. Okay. So that one, like I thought, went quick. So me. It was boring as hell. I hated yeah. the first episode. Couldn't watch I, any more of it. I watched two. Uh, the second one was not any better. Uh, let's see. Okay, I want to save time for that because that's one of the big ones. Uh, House, the nineteen eighty six horror movie. Dad, have you seen this? No. Okay, I know the piano uh, scene, and that's about it. Okay, uh, fun ghost story about a guy played by William Cat, who's a basically Stephen King alike, who writes famous uh, cheesy horror stories, but he also was a Vietnam vet, and he's trying to deal with that. Also. Uh, his aunt's house stole his kid when he was a, when a, a year ago, and he and his wife have not dealt with it well. Oh, okay. Because sorry, no I one was, believes them. When, when you said house, I thought about the Japanese. No, not Houseu. Not Houseu. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought you were talking about. Yeah, Houseu is a weirder, creepier movie, and I might show that to Cave at some point. That's the piano but, scene. I know. Yes. Yeah. Um, but most of the movie is just the house fucking with him because. Uh, it killed his aunt who lived there before, and according by her words, by tricking him. Because, and this is a rule that they 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 hide until the end. But I kind of appreciate the ghosts can't do anything to you that you unless you cause it yourself. They can make you think stuff is happening. They can move stuff, but they can't hurt you unless you cause yourself harm. Huh? This sounds like it's up my alley. That is interesting. I might have to watch yeah. this. Yeah, no, it is a very good horror movie. Coming soon and, this Halloween, House and House Sue. <laughs> uh, 
Well, it's it's on my Prime. They're both on my Prime cave, so if you want to watch them, we can watch them. Uh, really good movie starring William Cat, who I only know from a show that apparently was big before I was born, but I never watched, called The Greatest American Hero. But, uh, oh, was that yeah, fucking my uncle, guy? My uncle was super into that show, tried to get me to watch, and I was like, this is boring! Can we watch wrestling? <laughs> Oh, so you were dead when you were a child. <laughs> oh, I loved wrestling when I was a kid. <laughs> okay. That was the worst period of wrestling, though. That yeah. was, right. I was when all the racist caricatures were on screen. It was the Attitude Era, brother. <laughs> the greatest era of okay. wrestling. All right. So last three, I guess I'll go good. I'll do bad, good, bad, I guess, to finish these three off. And leave the, the craziest one for last. Okay. So Shin Ultraman. Oh, this makes me depressed how bad it was. Because the so order we watched these in, we watched Shin Godzilla obviously years ago. I watched Shin Ultraman and then Shin Kamen Rider, and then I watched Shin Ultraman and Shin Kamen Rider with Kate. Uh, at, when I first watched Shin Ultraman, I thought it was fine, not particularly good. But then I watched it with Cave, and it became worse. And I started to figure out what the problem was. And the, that, the the main issue is that they don't know how to write people. Yeah, which is funny because Hideaki Anno wrote all three movies. So he just is can't that really write... funny? I mean, he also wrote Evangelion. Uh, yes, but you like the characters in, in Kamen Rider, in Shin Kamen Rider. Okay, so I'm trying to illustrate a point. But uh, so the thing is, I don't know if you remember this, Dead, but last year around September, October, uh, one Rob Zombie made a Monsters movie. Yeah. And in both cases, the person in question, both Hideaki Anno with Ultraman and Rob Zombie with the Munster, said that they were huge fans of the original franchise. I don't and I believe see them. evidence to suggest that, but I just don't think either of them have the mindset or skills necessary to convey what was good about either. Yeah. So here, here's the big thing that I had a problem with in Shin Ultraman. In the original Ultraman, the most interesting and important characters were known as the Science Patrol. In Shin Ultraman, there are no interesting characters. Yeah, so... Um, the best way to... Uh, uh, I'm summing up 50 years of history for you, Dad, so I'll pardon the, the simplification. But if you wanted to think about the tone of the Ultraman franchise, think... What if Superman was in the Star Trek universe? <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty fair uh, example. Just the Enterprise and, flying like, from planet to planet, something goes wrong, fuck, 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 fuck the Prime Directive. Of, Superman, go help of, him. Like, the, the idea is that in this, again, this is the mid-60s, so space age optimism for the future. Man's technology is allowing them to explore new places, discover new things, learn more about the universe, and expand... And, and it all wants to kill because us. of it. And a lot of it is deadly or scary. And a lot of it, they can't now, and I'll get back to this. A lot of it, they can't deal with it on their own. So they need a giant man of light to come down from the sky and punch it for them. Or occasionally rip off its arms because the first Ultraman series was kind of gory. Okay. Um, so, th so the way you described it, I know it wasn't your intent, but it sounded less like Star Trek with Superman and sounded more like a Starship Troopers wet dream. Yeah, actually, that's a fair exa example uh, analogy too. 
The only reason I say it's not Starship Troopers is because on multiple occasions, including the last episode of the original series, the humans beat the monster. Yeah, that is, like the humans actually contribute in a major yeah. way. And in the original in the original Ultraman. Okay, so then it's so then it's uh what if what if Warhammer 40k was less edgy? <laughs> All right then, I'm not because, because the description I know what Warhammer is, but I'm not familiar with because it. Like I the, just see the giant suits of armor. Because like the description you're giving to this is humanity goes out into the stars, and everything out in the stars wants to kill us, so we kill it first. Uh, not all the time, but in some many cases, yes. And that comes back to bite them in one episode when they discover that next to Earth is a dimension full of dead monsters floating in space. <laughs> that yeah, that is the most depressing it. episode of the show. Oh. Yeah, that doesn't the sound. Monster just wants to go back to the afterlife. That doesn't sound like Star Trek. <laughs> well, it is like Star Trek in that a lot of well, original Star Trek it, was a, a lot of exploration, a lot of well, yeah. There's no the exploration idea. in the like. Well, there's a little exploration. The big, the big thing with the original, uh, and this is going to be my argument for the original conceit of Ultraman. It's what if Superman plus some interesting human shit. Because that's pretty much all it is. It is monster of the week and the humans doing things. And like eventually the humans fighting alongside Ultraman. Yeah. Because in the beginning, even, they're just there. They don't really get to do much. where Ultraman fails. Because this is, and again, sorry for spoiling a 57-year-old series. Ultraman dies in the last episode of the original series. And the humans beat the monster that killed him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just as you keep describing it, and it's either like like the way the way you're describing it is either just human space colonialism. They aren't colonizing; they they stay on Earth. Aliens are invading constantly, which is the part that confused me about the Star Trek analogy. Yeah, because that's the thing. Like like Star Trek is we are going out and exploring the universe, meeting other cultures and stuff, and doing all this other stuff. But if you're going out there and all the things you're meeting want to kill you, and then you murder them first. That's not Star Trek. That's 40K. But we also okay. like it is also like humanity is ha like at no point is humanity like really leaving the Earth except for maybe like into near space to explore a little bit. Yeah. And then the way Kay was describing it, it's like it's like, hey, here's like a really interesting like character driven drama show that every once in a while has five minutes of a giant man fighting a dude in a suit and then it just goes back to the character drama. That is exactly what Ultraman is. And it's, often is. But it's just like general now, hospital that everyone's while gets started by Power Rangers. Yes. Exactly like Common Rider X8. <laughs> okay, we're we're losing the metaphor. So let me explain why the movie's not good. Okay. Uh, so a lot of scenes are I appreciate again, so this made Cave sad when I told him. Uh Hideaki Anno directed Common Rider and um Shin Godzilla. He did not direct Shin Ultraman. That was directed by Shinji Higuchi, the guy who made the three modern Gamera movies, one of which we watched a few summers ago, Dead, if you remember. Uh, barely. Yeah. But he's a very good special effects guy, and the, even though he used CG, he is apparently a master at making guys in suit stuff from CG. So, they do this incredibly dumb thing where, because because of the suit, they can never show um, Ultraman landing, so they basically just back up his taking off motion. Which is hilarious. 
And they recreate that in the movie down to him spinning around in the air to kick someone in his taking off motion. It is cartoonish and I love it. Well, yeah, it's Ultraman. Yeah. Like, could you imagine Ultraman with like a, actually I say imagine Ultraman with a serious tone. That's kind of the new Ultraman manga that came out a few years ago. That's also yeah, pretty much every Ultraman ever. It's, it's like comedy surrounded of, by seriousness. Of, of that anime. But um, the problem is all of the character stuff. Like, So for one, everyone in the SSSP in this movie is a boring human that never accomplishes anything. Completely useless. So with without Ultraman, they would have all died. And that seems to be the major goal of it. Um and Ultraman himself, a big change they make. So the way Ultraman's origin works is a human dies because of the actions of one of the Ultraman. So that Ultraman will then fuse his essence to the human so that the human can live with the Ultraman inside him, which can come out at, for brief periods of time on Earth to fight the monsters. Which is oh, yeah, indicated. that's another thing that I hate that they did, but doesn't really matter much. They took away the color timer. So for dead's sake, there's a there's a little bulb on every Ultraman's design, little blue bulb indicating their power level. And if it starts flashing red, that means they have very little time left to use power. And they got rid of that to exchange it so that instead of being red when he's low on power, he turns green. Does that make sense? Huh. Yeah, that it's and it, and it's not like bright green or bright red either. It's kind of the subtle color, so it's not even drawn attention to until someone says it. So it's kind of weird, and you don't know that's what they're doing until someone says it. Weird. And look, okay. I I think I also just learned of a inspiration for Ben Ten. Huh. Oh yeah, no, obviously, obviously the Omnitrix flashing thing was a reference to Ultraman. <laughs> What? I you never know, thought about it. You don't know. Man of Action's a bunch of nerds. Yeah, it might be. I just never thought about it. That they way. fucking reference yeah. anime all the goddamn time. Well, yeah. But here's the big problem. Um, in the original show, the human that is possessed by Ultraman still acts like a person, and Ultraman He's still Man alive. Basically, yeah, basically acts like a person and is still the person, and Ultraman just kind of observes him from within as a separate being. In this, the guy's just dead, and Ultraman has to pretend to be a human monitoring human life forms. How do you human? Is a buddy like a partner? <laughs> God. Genuine that... dialogue. Yeah, that is a okay. line from the movie. Genuine Fuck. dialogue from this. It's so bad. <laughs> Again, so just like with my Rob Zombie monsters analogy supposedly hideaki ano is a huge fan of ultraman you would not tell from this movie because every several bits are yeah okay so several bits suck because he just changed them for the worse uh i can't really don't really want to go into him because we're low on time but yeah because of that it's hard to care about them because Again, if you have boring characters and a boring lead, there's nothing to invest in. And the you fights aren't good enough to merit. Yeah. Which is a shame, because again, great CG takes on man and suit fighting shit, like the hollow guy. Yeah, so... Th the so guy who looks hollow. Some of the sound of it, it seems like this is a person who 
seemed who says they love a thing, but you cannot tell what they loved about it. They can't yeah. show it at all. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. that's rough. Yeah. Okay, so best movie of the year so far, Across the Spider Verse, hands down. I don't know if I'm going to see a better movie this year. Uh, <laughs> Fuck the ending, but yeah. By ending, he means the fact that it's half a movie. That yeah. he didn't know that going in, I did, so it bothered him more. But everything else is great. Uh, I'm not I'm as big so on good. Hobie. I'm so mad that it's so good. I'm mad that Hobie, I don't like Hobie as much as everyone else, but he is fun. And I'm mainly, whenever I think about uh, the problems of punk culture, I'm just going to be quoting Hobie. It's like, I'm a sea of contradictions, bruv. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I hope his accent is better than yours. It Absolutely. Is. It's it played is by an so actual black thick person. Cockney. It is so thick, Cockney. It's yeah. so good. Uh, I mean, the Indian one was also fun. It's like, here's all the oh. traffic, here's all the traffic, and here's where all the British people stole all our stuff. <laughs> so, are you two like a thing? Oh, you two have so much tension. It's so good. How can you work? I love it. Uh, I love him. He is my favorite. Uh, I, lo- I, I love that, like, this movie is kind of bringing in, like, all these, uh, like, B and C tier Spider-Men that are just like I, I love I love a lot of the Spider-Men. Yeah. There's so many great takes. The, on the only one I have a problem with is, and maybe this will be fixed in the back half, I don't know, is uh I don't like what they did with Jessica Drew because they kind of made her the secondary bitch of the story where she's just going along with uh Miguel O'Hara. She's following and, the party line. I don't like what they did to Miguel O'Hara, and I'm hoping they fix that. Well, uh, uh, <laughs> As Cave and I, Cave Dead and I just finished reading Miguel O'Hara's stuff. He's kind of always been a piece of shit. Yeah, not to the degree he is in this movie. He rips people's faces off. He doesn't advocate for watching people die. Uh, kind of does. No, that's the Flash's job. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God, that fucking movie. Do we have to watch that? No. We did so much other stuff. I don't think we need to. Oh. I'll I'll participate if you do. Oh, God. (laughs) But yeah, it's like Across the Spider-Verse is so damn good, I almost have little to say about it other than... Go see it. Yeah, it's still in theaters. It's outlived movies that came after it. So Everyone just... needs to go see this movie so that I can see the second part. I'll see the movie when it comes out on yeah. streaming. I did make a joke uh, to the guy sitting next to me when the Sony logo came up in front of it saying, from the creators that brought you Morbius. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry about Venom. <laughs> Oh, just a rogue screenwriter. <laughs> I don't know how that got passed. I am so happy it did, though. <laughs> it would have been hilarious if that was like an ad libbed line that no one caught. <laughs> no, that had to be a line because they I, it takes so they anyway too much. Anyway, you, you you can't really say much about it across the Spider Verse. So what else you got? Yeah. All right. So last thing. Um. Slightly controversial. I'm going to be slightly controversial again here, Dad. What uh, you never? Yeah, I hate Nazis. 
<laughs> I, I just want Nazis to die. Fair. And balanced. So, yeah. So when I heard about a horror movie where a bunch of Nazis go into a haunted place and die, I thought, well, this should be fun. Uh, I did not expect it to be one of the most incomprehensibly bad horror movies I've ever seen. Oh. Wow, that's saying something. <laughs> like, that is genuinely saying something. Because I've watched horror movies with Birdie. So it's called The Keep. Okay. It is written and directed by Michael Mann. The guy who created Miami Vice, wrote Heat, uh, uh, Thief, uh, uh, is it Collat Collateral? So and Manhunter, he was the, he. I think he did the yep. first. Uh, yeah, yeah. First, the first adaptation of a uh, of a Hannibal Lecter property. Yep. Brian Cox. Yep. Who people? So this guy wrote this and directed from... a a horror movie based on a 1946 book about a bunch of Nazis uh, in Romania finding this keep uh, in a narrow pass out of the Carpathian Mountains that leads into Russia and setting up it as like a guard point. Uh, they go in and discover it's weird because it's uh, it seems to be designed not to and this is a line in the trailer but they cut it out of the movie for some reason it seems to be designed not to keep something out but to keep something in they cut it out because it's the most cliche line in all of horror <laughs> not yeah, wrong but uh, anyway um, the interior of the keep is filled with 128 uh Orthodox crosses. Uh, the locals who up keep up keep up the place. The the building managers basically say, "Don't touch the crosses." Uh, so the first night they're there, uh, a Nazi is like, "Oh, I think these crosses are made of silver. Let me take them." <laughs> so he he pulls one of them out, which pulls out a block, which opens up this interior space, uh, and then some kind of gas comes out and causes him to explode. Jesus Christ. My God. Uh, I've never heard such brilliant writing. Oh, and it's fucking... Two months, it's fucking cut to cast. two months later, um, five members of this Nazi group have died, and the Gestapo have come in to figure out how they can blame uh, humans for this. Yeah, you know, as you do. Now, I have, I have not mentioned the cast yet, but again, this is one of those... The cast is way better than a movie this bad should have. Uh... The main scientist and the, the main Nazi soldier in the first group, who's more of a German soldier because he kind of hates the fascism part, is Jürgen Prochnow. Uh The head of the Gestapo is Gabriel Byrne. Yes, <laughs> saw that. And uh, when Gabriel Byrne comes in and people still keep dying despite him uh, shooting uh, civilians in the street to stop the killing... Uh, they investigate the keep and find uh, a language they can't recognize that they say, oh, this, this doctor who lived here as a child was studying it, but uh, we ha we can't find him anymore. It's like, why? Well, he's a Jew and we're in Romania, so you know where he went. Oh. Jesus Christ. <laughs> They're Nazis. What do you expect? <laughs> so they, the, Nazis have to go to, the Nazis have to go to Dachau and get this Jewish doctor and his wife. And the doctor is played by Ian McKellen. <laughs> apparently studying for his role in as Magneto. Yeah, uh, I was just going to say, like, like, how many times do you have, how many times do you have to be a character that gets fucked over by the Nazis? 
Yeah. And then um, they bring them both to the keep to find out what the writing says. And it says, I shall be free. And like, well, what does that mean? No idea. But uh, I don't fucking know. I just got here. here We'll eventually be free. Yeah. Uh, uh, Last detail before I just kind of move through the rest of it, because the rest of this is incomprehensible beyond this point. So at some point we see the monster. It starts off looking just like the smoke monster from Lost, but eventually it takes a shape. Uh, It decides that because it hate this monster hates Nazis, it's going to have Ian McKellen, who is a Jew, help him escape from the keep so he can destroy the world because they allowed Nazis to exist. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, that's a, that's a motivation, I guess. And Christ. Ian McKellen's character is kind of going along with it because the monster healed him from his degenerative cancer. Uh, until the monster tells him to kill his daughter. <laughs> Christ. The the only other part of this that matters, and it's not clear why it matters, because I don't know who this character is, is um, Scott Glenn, the moment the creature's released, just wakes up, picks up his stuff, and gets on a boat from Greece to Romania. And we just, for uh, the first half of the movie, just see him walking across Romania to get to the keep. He appears to have supernatural abilities. I don't know why. I don't know what he is. Uh, the first Jesus. thing he does when he gets there is he 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 bump, he bumps uglies with uh, the Jewish do- uh, scientist's do- daughter. And the first thing she asks him after they have weird uh, artsy sex is, where did you come from? <laughs> weird artsy sex. I have to watch this movie now just because of that. Oh, I need to see what Ben means when he says weird artsy sex. Yeah, kinda. <laughs> is is it like is it like a is it like demolition man sex? Uh, no, it's more like there there like there is a constant sound of like a fog machine exploding in the background against <laughs> a, 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 a bright light behind them and. He's just like sitting on her with his dick clearly six inches away from her while their <laughs> while their arms are like intertwining and twi- and oh. flexing back and forth. Coming uh. soon on Death Door Prods, Nazi Must Die Month. <laughs> okay. It's gonna be my birthday. <laughs> so we're gonna watch for my birthday month. God no. <laughs> So let me explain the main reason the well, there's probably two main reasons this movie sucks. One is that it was clearly one of those, and I hate this term, behind the scenes troubled productions. Because mm. the film took about three months to shoot, and then it took a half a year to reshoot, during which point the original special effects director died on set. Not from Jeez. an accident, but because he just had health complications. And uh, because of that, Michael Mann had to reshoot even more scenes, and the original cut of the film that he presented to Paramount to release was three and a half hours long. Jesus! And, <laughs> and Paramount was like, uh, this film is too long and makes no sense, so we're going to cut it down to two hours and show it to people. 
and the test screens were so bad that they cut it down to 90 minutes, and the 90-minute version is the only version of the film that still exists. God. Yeah, when something's too confusing, you know what'll help it? Removing things. Yeah, when two hours of a three-and-a-half-hour film are gone, it's it's going to be impossible to follow. But hey, music by Tangerine Dream. Yeah, kind of wasted, though. But <laughs> because it's it's... It's so out of sync with the movie. Like the scene where the where the the Nazis are exploding after they release the creature, it sounds like I'm at a rave. <laughs> Which combined with all of the halos and, and gas lights doesn't add to the like sh- so should I be scared or should I be headbanging? Yes. <laughs> you should be rolling. Well, that's the problem. It was so weird I sobered up. <laughs> oh wow. wow. That is something. Holy hell. So yeah, uh, easily one of the worst horror movies I've ever seen. Uh, I I looked on both um, IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes for reviews, and on IMDb, which is usually, you know, the people who like shit, they were like, this movie's lucky it came out in December of 1983, or it would have been the worst movie of 1984. (laughs) (laughs) Well, alrighty then. Huh, so yeah, I guess that'll well, be it then. On that one. <laughs> uh, that'll be doing it for this week. Thank y'all for joining us. We'll be back before Eventually. four months have passed. That's the dream. That's the you dream. May see me again. We don't know. Yeah, I may, uh, I may disappear into the keep. Jesus, please don't. <laughs> we don't want. We don't have to summon a contingent of Nazis every time we want a podcast with you. <laughs> But yeah, so we got um, a comics podcast coming out uh, soon. Uh, should should be either should be a little bit before this one. Uh, we got Curse Destiny still pumping out episodes of that. Uh, other stuff coming, you know, we do. Until all that stuff, though, I'm dead. I'm Cave, and I'm Birdie X. And we'll see you guys next time. Goodbye. Have a wonderful time. <laughs>